وتخطف من أرضنا أولم نمكن لهم حرما آمنا صدق الله العظيم This is Surah Al-Qasas, Surah number 28, verse number 57 Going back a few ayahs Surah number 28, Surah Al-Qasas, verse number 57 There was a certain group of disbelievers Specifically Harith ibn Uthman and Naman ibn Abdul Manaf once he told the Baltasan that we know that you are preaching the truth, but if we believe in you, then we will be expelled from our land, we will be kicked out of Makkah Mukarama. So Allah Subhanahu responded to them, Have we not indeed granted them and settled them in a peaceful haram? Right? And haram was peaceful because even the unbelievers of Makkah Mukarama viewed the haram as haram, as a sanctified sacred ground ground where killing was prohibited. So this is actually just an excuse that was offered on their part. And this overall this passage is also going to be referring to the Hijra. So Allah SWT said about the next thing Allah SWT says about Haram is that thamaratu kulli shay, that Allah SWT has made literally the fruit or produce of each and every single thing reach and be collected and reach the land of Haram. So everything is attracted and collected over there. Kullashay, the ulama of Britain, is not just the fruits of trees, but also the fruits of manufacture and trade. So when you go to Haram, you will see, even today, that every single thing from everywhere in the world is there. However, However, the vast majority of them have no knowledge of that. What does it mean? They have knowledge of that. They can see that. They live in the Haram. They know that it's a sacred place. They live in the Haram. They can see that it's a center of trade. So what does it mean? La Ya'lamun is a different type of ilm. It's going to be a theme that's going to come many times today. That there's one ilm that comes in a person's akal. And there's one ilm that comes from hidayah, from submission to wahi, from understanding Quran and sunnah. That's a different type of ilm. So their akal can see these two facts, that the haram is a place of aman for them, and that it is a center of trade, but their ilm doesn't perceive that. What does it mean that they have not submitted to the reality of that? They have not followed the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They fail to heed the signs that Allah ta'ala has mentioned. Again, Allah ta'ala is going to mention in verse 15, a similar concept, وَكَمْ أَحْلَقْنَا مِنْ كَرْيَةٍ That many indeed were the towns and villages and populations that we destroyed. Why? Because they were Badrat Ma'ishataha, it means that their society was wanton and reckless. That's one way to translate it. So Fatilka Masakinahum Lam Tuskam Illa And there lie the ruins of these homes and their settlements, and these habitats were not occupied after the communities which were destroyed, except for a short few people who would live there. And this is ruins that the Kufar of Makkah, again, they could see that. But again, their uncle saw it, but their ilm was not enough that they could submit to that reality. Kunna nahnul warithin. Allah says, indeed, we are the ultimate inheritors. means only at the end, Allah subhanahu will be left. He will inherit everything. Everything in this world fades. 
And your Rabb would never ever destroy and send his destruction on any population, any community, any town. Until he sent to the center of that place a messenger, a Rasul. So what does this mean? Again, this is a sign to the Mushrikeen of Makkah, Makarmah and Ishara. Number one, that now that Allah Ta'ala has sent Sayyidina Rasulullah to you, and He has done exactly this, yatlu alayhim ayatina, that He has recited to you the verses of our revelation, so now you are eligible for this punishment. But the punishment will never fall until a Prophet comes. Now the Prophet has come to you. So by denying the Prophet in your midst and denying the verses that he recites, that were revealed to him, you were eligible for punishment. But as we mentioned to you earlier in Quran, Allah Ta'ala already mentioned that the special status of Sayyidina Rasulullah is such that Allah Ta'ala said that the punishment will never come upon the people as long as you were in their midst. So this is the difference between Sayyidina Rasulullah and the other previous prophets where then they left their communities and Allah Ta'ala inflicted a punishment on their community in their lifetime. And we will never ever destroy and send destruction on any population or settlement except that their inhabitants are are oppressive and sinners and wrongdoers. That means that two things will have to happen before Allah Ta'ala punishes. Number one, denial of anbiya and scripture. And number two, zulm, wrongdoing and injustice. And again in this case, Allah SWT will still not do it. And the, at that time of the Mashrikin of Makkah, when Nabi Karim Sassam is amongst them. Some have mistakenly understood this last part of the ayah to mean the converse is true. What does that mean? That whenever a natural disaster afflicts, afflicts a people, it means that they were necessarily zalimu. You cannot say that necessarily. For example, if there was an earthquake in Kashmir, you cannot stand up and give a fatwa that everybody in Kashmir was lewd or immoral or non-practicing and that's why the earthquake came. Because if that was the case, then really the earthquake should have hit Islamabad, Lahore, Karachi way before Afghan number bought Pelayata. <laughs> yes, DHA Lahore would be much higher on the list of sin, I think, than the rural areas and valleys of Kashmir. But, so that's one aspect. You cannot issue that proclamation. At the same time, yes, it is our adab that whenever there's a manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's might, which can be an earthquake, can be a tornado, can be a hurricane, that we make istighfar and tawbah for our sins. That we ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for our sins because we view it as it's, a, it's symbolic of His power to punishment. It's not necessarily representing His punishing will. And in fact, people who are killed in such natural disasters, according to hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah, he their hukman shaheed, means that they will be raised with the same status and maqam of the shuhada on the Day of Judgment. Uh, Alright. Verse number 16. Then Allah says, Whatever that you have been given, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ That each and every single thing that you have that has been bestowed upon you that you were given, فَمَتَاءُ الْحَيَاةِ dunya. That all of that is just the mata, the stuff, the assets of this world, وَزِينَتُهَا And its adornments. 
But what lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khairun that is better than that wa abqa khairun wa abqa it is better than everything in this world and it is everlasting so that is nashara that you're worried that you would leave your home or you would be kicked out of your home but it's not your real home your everlasting home is the akhirah whatever you have in this world is just fleeting and you will be separated from it but again comes the word afala taqidun that will they not understand so ilm and akal these two things are going to come so do, do they not understand that this is the case, that what belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is infinitely better? Now verse number 61. So that person who Allah ta'ala says, and can that person to whom Allah ta'ala has made a noble and beautiful promise and he finds and is going to realize that promise. So what does that mean? The one here means the mu'min, the believer. And the promise is Jannah. So the one who lives their life according to the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then meets and discovers and realizes that promise on the Day of Judgment and gets Jannah, can that person ever be equated to or be viewed as equivalent to to that person to whom we have given all of the stuff and the goods of this world but then then they will be summoned to Allah Ta'ala on the day of resurrection so this is referred to the unbeliever who has been given things of the world here Allah SWT is giving an ashara but the believer should never envy the believer should never envy the things that the disbeliever has been given in this world because the real risk and the real khair and the real treasures that Allah Ta'ala wishes to give the believer well, is that Jannah that Allah Subhanahu will give him in the Akhirah. As we should not be enamored by these temporary pleasures that the disbelievers possess. Sayyidina Abu Hayr al-Nari said Sayyidina Rasulullah hadith specifically this that a mu'min should never envy a bounty, blessing, ni'mah, worldly good that is enjoyed by a sinner, let alone a disbeliever, by a sinner, because the mu'min will never know, can never know whether that sinner is going to make toba and the default position in this sense, not default, but if the person dies without making toba, then Allah knows best what punishment is in store for them for, for that sin. And maybe one reason that they indulged in sin was their wealth and influence made, led them to ghafla or to forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to be lazy in their deen. So the moment should never envy what a sinner has. Right. And then on the, when they will be presented to, and gathered in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day, so what will they say? This will be the yawma yunadihim. This will be the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call each and every one of them. And what will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ask them? For you kulu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will That where are those that you ascribed as partners to me? Those who in your estimation that you ascribed as partners to me. Verse 63, then call and then those people against whom the testimony will be established and the decree will be passed, they will say, Rabbana, Ha'ula that Ya Allah, these were the O Arab, that these are the ones who were led astray. They, these are those who led us astray. and we led them astray just as we were astray. So now that the the Ya Allah, we exonerate ourselves in front of you. We wash our hands of them and return to you. 
right? And this will not be accepted for them. They will say, Makanu iyana ya'budun, that it is, they never ever worshipped us. So what does it mean? The, idol, the idols themselves or the false gods themselves were proclaimed in Bara'ah and they will say that we have nothing to do with this. So that's what Allah is telling the idol worshippers that your idols will disavow you on the Day of Judgment better that you disavow and disown them on this world because they are only going to disown you on the Day of Judgment if you try to call them for help. Verse 64 Again, And go and call your partners and idols and then they will do so. Fada'ohum, the people, the disbelievers, will call upon the idols. Falam yastajibu lahum, but their idols will not respond to them. And then will happen, Bara'u al-adhaba. Bara'u al-adhaba, they will see the punishment that has been decreed for them. Law annahum kanu yahtadun. If only they had been people who had accepted and submitted to hidayah and the guidance that was sent to them by Allah subhanahu wa in the form of kutub and anbiya. Wa yawmi yunadihim. And remember that day when Allah subhanahu wa will call to them and say, Wa yukulu Allah subhanahu wa say, Mada ajabtumul mursaleen. That how did you reply to the messengers? What reply did you give to the messengers and the anbiya? So again, this can refer to the disbelievers. Did they believe in the Prophet? And this can refer to the believers. That how did you reply and respond to the Sunnah of the Anbiya? Did you hearken to their call, to their seerah, their Sunnah, their Talimat? Or did you neglect them? فَأَمِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَنْبَاءُ And then all information and all account will be lost and made obscure to them and will be erased from them يَوْمَئِذِنْ on that day. فَهُمْ لَا يَتَسَاءَلُونَ And they will not be able to ask or question one another about anything. Then at the end of verse 67 in this passage, Allah Ta'ala mentions His mercy. فَأَمَّا مَنْ تَابَ But however, that person who makes tawbah means who renounces sin and pledges and promises and strives never to return to sin in the future. وَآمَنَا And believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or pledges their iman once again. وَآمِنَ صَالِحًا And then does righteous deeds, acts of virtue, acts of piety, acts of worship. Then surely it is to be expected that he will be amongst the muflihin, those who will be as successful on that day of judgment and happy ever after in the Akhirah. In Surah Maida here, uh, Allah subhanahu wa mentioned that they will call their partners and that no one, they will not, their partners or their idols that they associate with Allah will not be able to respond to them. In Surah Maida, a long time ago we did this verse and Allah subhanahu wa will actually gather the messengers. Sorry, this verse where Allah Ta'ala, uh, verse 65, Allah Ta'ala will address all of humanity and ask each and every human being, Mada ajabtumul mursaleen, that how did you respond to the messengers? In Surah Maida, Allah Ta'ala mentioned that Allah Ta'ala will gather all the anbiya and mursaleen and ask them, what reply did you get? And all of the anbiya will respond to Allah Ta'ala that we have no knowledge, indeed Allah Ta'ala, you are the knower of the unseen. What does it mean? Because of the awe of the Day of Judgment and the awe in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Anbiya will not be able to answer Allah ta'ala as to who replied in what sense to them. So if the Anbiya will be so succumbed to the might and majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you can imagine the people will have no chance of being able to answer Allah ta'ala this question, how did they respond to the Mursali? Verse 68, وَرَبُّكَ That your Rabb 
Allah subhanahu creates whatever he wants and he chooses whatever so he wants this means the right of selection belongs to Allah subhanahu first reason this verse was revealed was that because some of the mushrikeen they complained that why was it that Nabi Kareem was chosen as a prophet yes it should have been from an Arab should have been a human we accept should have been Arab we accept should have been Quraysh we accept should have been from Makkah we accept but should have been one of the affluent and wealthy people and Sayyidina was an orphan and was not well off. So this was the answer that Allah subhanahu says. He has created everything and he chooses and selects whomsoever he wants. And this is generally true for all of Allah subhanahu creation. He has created all of humanity and selected certain people to be their anbiya. For amongst those anbiya, he selected Sayyidina Ibrahim salam to be Khalilullah, Sayyidina Musa salam to be Kalimullah, Sayyidina Isa salam to be Ruhullah and Sayyidina Rasulullah salam to be Habibullah. This is the wish of Allah SWT. He selects whomsoever he wants. Right? And similarly, Allah has made many selections. He has selected Makkah Mukarama. They should have selected the Arabs. There's another point that they should have realized that Allah has selected Makkah Mukarama for his Baytullah. Has selected the Quraysh to be the people who inhabit Makkah Mukarama. Has selected Arabic for the language of Quran. So instead of looking at those things that Allah has selected for them, they were rebelling against a selection that they disagreed with. And again, we never want to imitate or mimic this believer, the attitude and demeanor of the disbelievers, we should be grateful for all of those things that Allah has selected to us, even better than our liking could ever have imagined, instead of stubbornly being ungrateful for those selections that Allah makes that we are unhappy with. And Allah what they conceal in their breasts and what they reveal. Allah knows what you say and also what you feel. And this is why, because we want to purify everything that Allah knows. It's not just about purifying our goal and fail what we say and what we do. We also have to purify what we think and what we feel because Allah subhanahu wa can look deep inside our breasts and know our feelings. And He is Allah and there is no God except for Him. And to Allah subhanahu wa belongs, to Allah alone belongs all the praise, the very first praise and the very last praise. And to Allah subhanahu wa belongs the command and the judgment and to Him will each and every one of you be returned. That do you not see that Qul say to them, my beloved messenger, that do you not see that if Allah had made the night Sanmadan in the Yawm al Qiyamah, that it had remained perpetual night until the day of judgment, then who would it have been? Man ilahun ghayrullahi yatikum Who what deity is there or what God is there other than Allah subhanahu wa who could bring the light of daylight to you? Are you not listening? Will you not listen then? And or say to them, that if Allah Ta'ala made daylight perpetual for you in the day of judgment, that who, what God is there other than Allah subhanahu who could bring night to you such a night that you rest therein. So then will you not see? So the first verb was used was sama. The second verse is basr. It means will you not then see? Will you not perceive? Will you not observe? And it's from the mercy of Allah that he has made night and day 
both for you and that they alternate and neither one is perpetual let us fihi so that you may rest therein yani in the night fadlihi and that you may seek the bounty and blessing and fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means in the day and so that perhaps you may be able to express your gratitude and be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is the norm. Yes, there are certain extreme regions, certain extreme latitudes in which there is perpetual night and perpetual day. But the vast norm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that night and day alternate. And it is not in any way the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that people should inhabit and settle uninhabitable lands, whether it is the polar caps or other such reasons. If human beings choose to live in such places, that is their own choice. But there are a handful or very few people who live in those places. They could easily have lived elsewhere. Verses 74 Then Allah said they should remember that day him, the day when Allah will call them same thing that where are those partners that you ascribed to me you claimed and you thought that I had Allah Ta'ala says that we will draw a witness from every ummah, from every community and people. فَقُلْنَا حَقْتُمْ بُرْحَانَكُمْ Then we, and we will say, حَقْتُمْ بُرْحَانَكُمْ That produce your proof, bring your proof. فَأَلِمُوا And then they will get ilm. Then they will know. And what will be the ilm that they get? أَنَّ الْحَقَّ لِلَّهِ That haq, truth, belongs to Allah SWT alone. وَذَلَّ أَنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا يَفْتَرُونَ And all of those lies and inventions that they ascribe to Allah SWT, all of that will desert them, will abandon them on that day, means all of their false idols will abandon on that day. Who will be called from every ummah as a shaheed? To elsewhere Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an that the Anbiya will be called a shaheed, and then every Nabi will serve as a witness to the disobedience of their nation. Verses 76 onwards, Allah Sponta is going to mention a last segment of this long story of Sayyidina Musa Islam, again, which has come in many, many different ayat of Quran al Karim, but this is a new segment, so we're going to mention that in detail. And then the question to ask will be why is this part of the story left for this particular place of Surah Al Qasas? So we will do that in the end. What is this last segment of the long story of Sayyidina Musa Islam? It pertains to a fellow by the name of Qarun. Inna Qarun akana min Musa. That indeed Qarun was from amongst the people of Sayyidina Musa Islam, and it means he was from the Bani Israel. Alright. However, he rebelled against them or he was unjust towards them. Both meanings can be there. But Allah Ta'ala says, but we gave him such treasures, such that ma, uh, such treasures, that ma inna mafatihahu litanu, that latanu bil usma, that the keys of which, just the keys alone of those treasures, would weigh down an usba, a strong group of men. Right, Usbata Ulquwa, a group of people possessing might and power. It means they wouldn't even be able to lift up his keys. 
But then when his community said to him, and his fellow Bani Israel told Qalun, La tafrah, that you should not be boastful, do not exalt, do not be vainglorious. Why? Inna Allah la yuhimbul farheen, that indeed Allah subhanahu does not love the people who boast. So this suggests that unlike the um, Bani Israel that we are used to hearing about in Surah Baqarah and elsewhere, these were then pious people from the Bani Israel, people of insight, because they realized that excessive wealth leads a person to boastful arrogance. And they saw that in him, so they tried to rectify this in him, and they uh, made, it, made sure that he... Um, well, they didn't make sure they asked him, they entreated him, they enjoined him, they advised him not to have that arrogance. Second thing they advised him, that instead you should seek the abode of the hereafter. And you should for not you should not forget your portion or part in this world. What does it mean? That number one, you shouldn't be so caught up in your wealth. You should also focus on your a'mal so that you also become wealthy in the akhirah. And don't forget your portion in this world means that you should also spend in sadaqah over here. You should also give in charity. It could mean some type of zakat, can mean sadaqah. Don't forget that you should give in this world. Right? Another way one could understand this is that your portion in this world that you leave behind in this world means all your wealth is going to be left behind. You will not be able to take any one of it with you. So in the Sahih Muslim, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah says that a person says, my wealth, my wealth, means they're so attached to their money. Whereas actually only three things belong to a person. Number one, the food he eats and digests that you can say now belongs to him. Number two, the clothes that he wore out. Not even that he wore, but he wore them so much that he had to toss them or he wore them out. And number three, the wealth that he spent, Fisabilullah, for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa and the path of Allah subhanahu wa Everything, and then the Prophet concluded, every, every other single thing, everything else, he will leave for his hairs. And this happens to people that actually the more and more rich they get, the more and more stingy they become, which is a strange thing. Right? And we've witnessed this in people. The richer they get, the easier it is to spend another million on opening up another factory, but the harder it becomes to spend a thousand dollars in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what happened to Karun also. The more and more rich he got, the more boastful, the more arrogant, and the more stingy he got. Then they gave him another piece of advice, right? Uh and you should be benevolent and noble and good as Allah Ta'ala has been good to you. So again, this could be an ashara again towards giving charity or this can also be just in terms of behavior that being, being wealthy should humble you. It should make you good to others the way Allah Ta'ala has been so good to you. But help others. And you should not seek corruption on earth. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa does not love and will never love and can never love those who spread corruption on earth. So how does he reply to all this? Qal Qarun replies, That I have been granted all of this wealth on account of ilm, but what type of ilm? Ilmin indi, knowledge that I have. What is his answer that I am self-made? I earned this myself. 
I should be allowed to do whatever I want with it. That's why we keep telling you, you want to be very careful of ever having the same statement or attitude that unbelievers or ungrateful believers have. And so people say, That's what people talk about, right? This is what Karun is saying in Quran. This statement is long since passed already. In my education, my degrees, ilm in indi, from a knowledge that is with me. So then what is the response? Awalam ya'lam, that does he not know, Allaha kad ahlaka min kablihi min al-qurun, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is also play on his word, qarun, qurun, that does he not know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has destroyed many multiple generations that have already passed before him, man huwa ashaddu min hukuwatun wa akhtharu jum'an, that they were all people who were even stronger than him and they were larger in number, right? Means that they were more powerful than him and sorry, and, and greater in wealth. So he's nothing. He's nothing special. And then Allah Ta'ala mentions a statement, وَلَا يُسْأَدُوا أَن ذُنُوبِهِمُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ And the sinners and the criminals will not be asked about their sin, will not be questioned about their sin. Alright, what does this mean? It means that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows, uh, first of all, that Kaun has nothing to boast about because he has been given the wealth by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not due to any knowledge that is, lies with him. And Allah ta'ala knows each and every single thing that he's doing. Criminals will not be questioned about their sins. Well, there are three levels. Number one, Allah ta'ala has knowledge of everything. So there's no need to have a questioning process. As it, so it doesn't mean that knowledge will be discovered in the answers. Allah Ta'ala doesn't need to discover knowledge, He already has the knowledge. Second, what this means is that the evidence will speak for itself against them. It means their own book of deeds, their own acts, or there will be other evidences, other testifiers that will testify against them. The angels come and got to be in the pieces on earth, the pieces of land upon which they sinned. Their very own organs that comes in Quran, their hands and limbs will testify against them about the sins that they did. Third, even when Allah Ta'ala asks them, it's not to learn the knowledge, it's, sometimes it's also a rhetorical question. Allah Ta'ala asks them something about their sin, they won't be able to speak, because they will be in awe of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And fourth, yes, a person may be asked about their sin on the Day of Judgment, and a person will have to testify to it. So that is the meaning of this passage. Going back then to Qarun, so what does he do after all of this so then he emerged and went out among his people in his zinat, in his beauty, means here in his pomp and his splendor. That those who are desirous of the life of this world, when they saw him in all of his beauty and refinery, so they say, Ya Laita Lana Mithlama Famous sentence that is quoted often by ulama to tell people that you shouldn't envy the wealthy of this world, you shouldn't desire the wealth of this world, but this is what they said, that, oh, would would only if that we could have and possess the likes of that which has been given to Karun. So at the very least, they said, Ma'utiya, they still acknowledge that it was not what he earned, but what was given to him. Innahu ladhu haddin adim. Indeed, he is someone who is a great fortune, or you can also think greatly fortunate. He has great fortune, or he is Greatly fortunate. But now look in verse 80. This was one group. One group of people. So there are two groups of people. Verse 79. The first group are who? 
الَّذِينَ يُرِيدُونَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Those who want the life of this world. Verse 80 is the second group. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُ الْإِلْمَ Those who have bestowed ilm. So not mean ilm indi, not a knowledge they had on their own. That's just their akal. A knowledge that was bestowed to them yani by Allah SWT. They had ilm of deen, they had ilm of hidayah, they had ilm of wahi, they had ilm of nabuwa. Right? So what did they say? They didn't say that. They said, Waylakum. They said, Woe to you, O you people who are desirous of this world and are drooling at the sight of God. Woe to you. Thawabullahi khayrun liman amana wa amila saliha. That the thawab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the reward of Allah ta'ala is khair, is better, is best for those who have iman and do righteous works and good deeds. Wala yulaqaha illa sabirun. And indeed, that reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will only be granted and will only be bestowed on a person who are, will not be bestowed on anyone except the sabirun, except those who are patient. So it suggests here that a certain level of patience on earth before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then blesses a person with limitless treasures in the akhirah. Then Allah ta'ala mentions the punishment that he sent on to Karun, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to plunge him on this earth. But just so you know, many things, uh, you know, in our deen, you would already know this, that what Allah Ta'ala has in store in the Akhirah is infinitely more in this world. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the smallest place in Jannah is ten times the size of that which lies between the Samawat and Ard. And if you take Samawat to be atmosphere, ten times the size of planet Earth. And if you take Samawat to be the fringes of the known physical universe, then ten times, I mean ten times the entire physical universe will be what is the least home, smallest home, that is given to a person in Jannah. Then what tells bihi? Then we plunged and we submerged Karun into the ground and we caused the earth to swallow him up. Him and his house. And he had no group, no fi'a, no army, no troops, no faction who could assist him other against to help him and against this decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was not a person who was able to defend or assist himself either. And then so what happened then those who had desired his status the day before those who had been yearning for his glory and his palm. So then when they saw this punishment that him and his home and his wealth and all of that was swallowed up by the earth by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what did they say? Yukuluna they said <coughs> uh, that they oh, oh indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will expand yabsutun rizqa liman yasha Allah Ta'ala expands the rizq for whomsoever he wants min ibadihi from his servants and slaves and worshippers wa yaqdiru and Allah Ta'ala also sets it at a specific limit for those whomsoever he wants meaning that this is the will and wish of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so Allah Ta'ala expands it or regulates it at his will and then they realize lawla an Madallahu alayna that if indeed Allah Ta'ala had not Allahu alayna that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not been gracious to us, if he had not sent his favor on us, La Khasafa bina, in fact we would also have been buried. 
along with Karun and if we had been like him and been with him if Allah Ta'ala accepted our wish yesterday that if only we could be like him then we would have been sitting buried like him also today and so they were uh, that indeed the kafirun, the unfaithful, the disbelievers the unfaithful, ungrateful ones will never ever succeed and will never ever prosper a question then that remained like I told you that we would do at the end is that why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention this story here so first is well that you would remember that in the beginning of the surah in surah Qasas in verse number 3 Allah ta'ala said natlu alayka min nabai Musa wa fir'awna bil haqqi that only we will recite to you the Prophet the incident and the stories of Sayyidina Musa and Fir'aun. So one reason it is mentioned in this surah is that it is linked, it is part of that story. And it is linked also to verse number 60. Because in verse number 60 Allah sponsor says, وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَمَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتُهَا وَمَا إِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ So this is the verse we did with you a few minutes ago. This is related to that. That whatever you have been granted in this world, whatever you have been granted is just that stuff and property of this world and its adornments. But what lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is infinitely better and is everlasting. Verse number 83. So this is the Darul Akhira, this is the home of the hereafter, the everlasting abode, and who Allah Ta'ala says, Naj Aloha, but we will appoint it and make it for those people number one, La Yuriduna Uluwan Fil Ard. They do not seek mm, exaltedness, exaltation on earth. They do not desire exaltation on earth. So that means if we want exaltation on earth, clear eye in Quran, you may not, you may become mahroom of Allah Ta'ala exalting you by giving you Jannah and Akhirah. So we are people who want to live on earth, who want to pass this test, who want to pass this test of earth. We're not here to exalt, exalt for the pageantry, pomp, highest attainment to be the greatest and the most famous celebrity or whatever, we're not here for that, right? And anybody who wants, and those people who don't want that, who say, no, we don't want status on earth, Allah Ta'ala has made Jannah for them. And the second condition was, la fasada, and nor do they want corruption. They do not desire immorality on earth. Whether they desire that corruption for themselves, or whether they desire it in others, anybody who does fasad themselves, or desires fasad for others, is also mahroom of the akhirah. وَالْآقِبَةُ means خَيْرُ الْآقِبَةُ means the best outcome will be للمتقين for the people of taqwa means those who are conscientious and aware of Allah Ta'ala at all times and that conscientious awareness will lead them to refrain and abstain from disobeying Allah Ta'ala at all times مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ and that person who brings to Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala a good deed فَلَهُ خَيْرٌ مِنْهَا he will get even better than the deed they performed and that person who brings to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a sin or an evil deed. That they will not be given anything more than they did. Now the parity would be that you bring good deed, you get better than what you bring. You do a sin, you get worse than what you did. But no. You do a good deed, you will get better. And you do a sin, you will just get the recompense and jaza for what you did. And you saw earlier in Quran... Allah can even multiply good deed up to 700 times. 
ten times, seventy times, seven hundred times. Whereas the person who sins, they will only face that one sin, and that is if they don't make first. That is first if they don't make toba for it. If they make toba for it, then they won't even have to face their sins on the day of judgment. And some have said that Hasana al-Iflam here is Ahdi. Al-Hasana means specifically the good deed of Iman. And they will then get something infinitely greater than that Iman, which is Jannah, the Thamara of that Iman. And As-Sayya, again Al-Iflam, Ahdi. Ahdi means that it's a specific article. Al-The good deed, Yani Iman. And if they come bringing it to the evil deed, Yani Kufr, then uh, they will get simply what is the jaza of Kufr. And that's what Allah sponsored. And that if you take it that way, then the ishara is that Jahannam is the appropriate jaza for kufr. Allah Ta'ala has not magnified that or multiplied the punishment. The punishment fits the crime, whereas the reward for iman is infinitely more uh, multiplied than the good deed itself. Verses number 85 to 88, end of the surah, surah al qasas surah 28, last verses 85 to 88. That indeed that being any Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has prescribed and decreed upon you Quran, he will certainly return you back to Ma'ad, to the place where you return. Yani I had already mentioned this to you, that Sayyidina Rasulullah was on Hijra. This is the last Makki verse and he was going from Makkah Makkah to Madi Manurah. He paused at a place called Jufa and he paused there because he was feeling sadness and longing to return to his hometown in Makkah Makkah and that occasion the angel Jibreel came and brought this verse and it means that indeed Allah Ta'ala will return you back to Makkah Mukarramah at some point it will happen and indeed as all of you know it happened قُلْ رَبِّ أَعْلَمُ مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْهُدَى وَمَنْ هُوَ فِي ذَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ and say that indeed my Rabb knows best who has come with true guidance and who is it that is on a clear and manifest error. This is because the Mushrikeen used to taunt the Prophet and say that we are the ones who are rightly guided, hence the Kaaba will stay with us and you are an error. And lest the Prophet feel when he is leaving that the Mushrikeen will feel that their taunts were justified, that look, and the Mushrikeen were spreading this, that we, we've kicked him out and shows this is a sign that we are true. And that this house of worship is the house of worship for our false idols. So Allah SWT is answering that and saying, No, no, Allah Ta'ala knows who has come with Hidayah and who was on air. And certainly after Fatih Makkah, then all of Arabia from that moment until today has known who is on Haq and Hidayah and who is miscarried. <laughs> إِلَّا رَحْمَةً مِّن رَبِّكَ فَلَا تَكُونَنَّ ذَهِيرًا لِلْكَافِرِينَ Allah Subhanahu said to the Prophet that you had never ever, you never could have anticipated nor did you ever hope for that Allah Ta'ala would send this book down any scripture, any Quran or Kareem to be presented to you. This was just a mercy from your Rabb. This came as nothing except as a mercy from your Rabb and therefore you must certainly be sure that never ever to be an ally or supporter to the disbelievers and the atheists. Now obviously it means that Nabi Kimkinto never think like that, but Allah SWT is here again in those ayat that we keep pointing out to you when they come, even Allah SWT is inflicting his rububiyat on Sayyidina Rasulullah that he is the Rabb and that you could never think. Now the Prophet would never be an ally to them, but maybe he may think of softening or compromising to get back to Makkah Makarama, right? To somehow 
regain Makkah Makarma, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is no, you will have no need to do any such thing. And they can never ever uh, prevent you or stop you, uh, ne- 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 never let anything obstruct you from the signs of Allah Ta'ala, or you can say from the meaning of the verses of the revelation of Allah, that's actually better. The verses of Allah Ta'ala is unzilat ilayka, after they have been revealed to you, wadu ila rabbika wala taku nanna min al and you should keep calling in Zrithri Justin Nabi Akim Sallallahu and those of you who know Arabic, this is all singular about O and Rabbika. All of that is singular. So, O you, Prophet Sallam, you should continue to make dua to your Rabb. وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And you, Prophet Sallam, you should surely, certainly make sure that you never become amongst the idol worshippers. And you don't pray to وَلَا تَدُمَا اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخِرَ And don't make dua along with Allah Subhanahu to any other deity. Illahu except for La ilaha illahu that, be, that because there is no being No deity other than Allah subhanahu ta'ala Kullu shay'in halikun Each and everything will fade Before I do that last part What does this mean? Obviously again Sayyidina Rasulullah Would never ever in his mind imagine Right? That he would call anyone else But still Allah subhanahu ta'ala Is showing his master divinity On the Prophet as well and addressing him. Not that there's any even remote possibility of this, but still laying down the law, if you will, even for his most beloved and blessed and best of creation. This verse 87 is something that we should reflect on, because again, like I told you, every eye has umum, so if we view this as being addressed to us, so it would mean that nothing should prevent and obstruct us from following the ayatillah, these verses of Allah Ta'ala's revelation, after they have been revealed to you, as after they have been recited and translated and taught to you, nothing should prevent you from following them. And this is the problem, right? We have the same problem, this whole phenomenon of the non-practicing believer, right? It should, this, this word should not even exist, is what you call oxymoron. How could you believe and not practice? It shouldn't exist, right? But it's become such a standard term, it's a category in of itself. And it's a group and category that has millions and millions of adherents, the non-practicing believers, right? So this is what I'm saying in this ayah, that it shouldn't be like that. You believe in it, you hear it, you should practice it. What in the world could stop you from living this deen that you believe and have iman in? And so the last part of the ayah, that every single thing shall perish except the waj of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is something that we had mentioned earlier uh, to you I think last year waj literally people I mean literally that means his face or countenance it means except the will and purpose of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because when you face someone means you are directing your will towards them the wajha ilayh so that you are directing your will and purpose towards them. So all intents and purposes shall perish and fade, except the will and intent and purpose of Allah SWT. Lahul hukmu, and to Him alone belongs the judgment and decree. Wa ilayhi turja'un, and to Him alone will each and every single one of you be returned. Surah, Surah Al-Ankabut, literally this means the Surah of the Spider, 
This is going to come, if I remember correctly, in verse 41, where Allah Ta'ala is going to coin the example of a spider. This has already gone before. These are Rufi Muqatta'at. Allah alone knows what they mean. That do people think that they will simply say, they will be left to simply say, Amanna, we believe, and they will not be tested in any way. So it's a very important ayah Allah Ta'ala's beginning is going to set the whole theme for the surah and as we should also it's addressed to us that it's not you cannot be a non-practicing non-tested just plain believer no if you believe you will be tested by Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. what will be the test sometimes your very iman might be tested you may be exposed to some philosophy ideology that has the potential to plant a doubt or skepticism in your mind. Your iman may be tested. Second thing is your amal on that iman will be tested. Are you going to practice that iman? Live that iman? Be true to that iman? Enjoy that iman? You will be tested. Third meaning is you can be tested in this world. Don't think that okay now you have accepted iman. Now Allah Ta'ala is going to give you all the glory and wealth in the world for free. You will be tested. You will face adversity, difficulty, betrayal, hardship. This world is a world of fitna. It's a world of test and trial and tribulation. And Allah Ta'ala to make it clear says, وَلَقَدْ فَتَّنَّ min قَبْلِهِمْ And that we have actually tested every single one and ones who came before you. فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ And that Allah Ta'ala reveals and this is done so that, why? So that Allah Ta'ala may surely and assuredly discern that who are those الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا who are true in their iman and that so Allah Ta'ala may also surely, assuredly know those who are liars, who are untrue to their iman. So there will be a test, big test, multiple tests. أَمْ حَسِبَ الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السِّيَّاتِ and that do those who perpetrate and commit sin, do they think literally means that they can outrun us, means that they can escape us, that they can put themselves beyond our reach? Evil indeed is uh, that judgment that they've made, or terrible is that judgment and decision that they have taken to adopt a life of sin, thinking they can outrun the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, we will be tested. Very important also to know that when a person accepts Islam, maybe as a convert, or if there's a person who... Well, let me initially tell you the initial, uh, before I give you the general meaning, the initial background to this uh, is that Allah subhanahu was testing who is a mu'min and who is a munafiq. And when Nabi Kareem sallallahu and the Sahaba Ikram migrated to Medina Munawara, after the hijrah then there were some sahaba who were left in Makkah Makarama or some people who adopted Islam after the false of some left they decided to profess Islam so the sahaba would write them and told them that you have to come because at that time that was the legal ruling that was followed that a person's iman was not viewed as complete until they did the hijrah from Makkah Makarama to Medina Manawra so then when the Sahaba wrote them that, these Muslim people who had adopted this professed Islam initially in Makkah Makarama, they wrote back and they said that, look, uh, they made an attempt to migrate. Uh, and when they tried, the Mushrikeen stopped them from doing so. Then a second attempt was made. The second time they made the attempt, uh, in the second time there were some people who chose not to migrate because they were scared. And this is Allah Ta'ala was answering them that, no, you will be tested. 
This is the test for you. Your migration to Medina Munra is a test for you. And Allah wants to see who are the true believers and who are the Manafiks. So then the true believers, they tried to migrate again. And this, they made near that if the Mushrikeen tried to stop us, we will fight them. And that's what happened. And some of them were martyred. And some of them were able to victoriously fight their way out and reach Medina Manawara. So those were the true Mu'mineen. So yes, although a Mu'min, we should always pray for Aman. We never want fitna. We always, we don't want test and trial and tribulation. We should always pray for safety and security. But we should realize that test and difficulty will come. This is a very important point to remember. Because this whole thing about the new convert, this is what this ayah originally came about. The person who is a new convert, or a person who is a newly developed a surge in their deen, a person who has returned to deen after a long absence, sometimes what happens is, is that they become religious, and then all of a sudden something difficult happens in their life, and they get worried, they say, well, what just happened? What's, what's going on? I just left all that sin, I've changed my whole life, I'm praying salah, namaz, and now all of a sudden I'm facing this difficulty. And sometimes they start questioning Allah SWT, or they may get angry with Allah SWT, Allah SWT, what are you doing? I made to see the aura. Or in the midst, or old Talmud, or or my right? That I'm coming to you on the straight path, and you're sending this test on me. So the answer is this: Ahasibat nasa aniyat. Do do people think that they will be left an yutruku an yakulu amanna uhum la yuftanu? No. Whether we take iman initially as a convert or we develop a renewed sense of our iman, we will still be tested. So the person shouldn't despair. This is part of iman. This is part of life on earth. Doesn't mean Allah Ta'ala is angry with us. Doesn't mean He didn't accept our tawbah. Doesn't mean He's not accepted our iman. He accepted our iman. He's accepted our tawbah. He is accepting all those salawat. He's, he's looking on us, looking upon us favorably and fondly because of our change back towards Him. But we will still be tested. That's part of life. You will still have tests and difficulties. So we should not in any way feel bad about that. مَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ أَجَلَ اللَّهِ لَآتِ that whomsoever yearns and aspires and wishes to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right who looks forward to the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed uh, that meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the appointed time of that meeting la'at is coming indeed and Allah ta'ala is all hearing and he is all knowing and that person who makes mujahada Jahada is from Mujahada, that person who struggles and strives to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They do so yujahidu nafsihi. They struggle and strive only for the benefit of their own selves. Their struggling and striving will benefit them in the Akhirah. Allah Ta'ala does not need it per se. Inna Allah lazaniyun alameen That indeed surely Allah Ta'ala is independent of all of the realms, all of the universes, all of the worlds. He's completely ghani. But our mujahid is done for our own sake. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And those who have iman and those who do good works and righteous acts of deeds Allah says we will pardon, we will drop from them and pardon and expiate their evil deeds and sins. And we should reward them for the best of what they were doing, or we will reward them even better than what they were doing, or we will give them the best reward of what they used to do. All three translations are there. Allah 
So what does it mean that this is Allah saying this is the end of the mujahidah. In this life you will have to face fitna, you will have to face test, you may have to make mujahidah and strive against it. But ultimately when you reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will give us the best reward and reward us for the best of what we did. And uh, this is what, and he will erase our sins and uh, drop our sins from us. So this is the promise given to who? The person who does mujahada. The jahada doesn't mean a lazy, laid back, occasional, on and off approach to deen. No. That's not going to fulfill the meaning of this verse. What is it? Waman jahada jahada. That person who makes mujahada sincerely strives hard to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lives a life of mujahada. Lives their life trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like your elders will tell you, if you work hard your whole life, beta, you will get a good job and a good career. So that's what Allah ta'ala is telling you. That if you work hard spiritually, beta and beti, you will get a good akhirah. Yes? So it has to be mujahida, mujahida. Then Allah Ta'ala will reward them for the best of what they did. Allah Ta'ala will give them a better reward for what they did. Right? Allah Akbar. So this is the way to live. Right? So this surah Al-Kabut in the beginning is very good for a person who wants to give me some basic passage of Quran that tells me what I have to do. Just look at the first few ayat of surah Al-Kabut. Everything is explained. What is life? What is iman? What are you supposed to do? Then Allah Ta'ala mentions another important command. And indeed we have uh, enjoined or prescribed upon humanity that they should have husn, that they should be kind and noble towards their two parents. And if your parents force you if the two of you or either of them force you, the tushrikabi, that you should ascribe any partners to me, that you should do shirk, right? Then, ilm, and that is something about which you have no knowledge, you have no warrant, and is that there is no partner to Allah that you can ascribe to Him, then, then don't obey your parents. This is that word in Quran that. Parents never want you to know. <laughs> do not. Allah Ta'ala's command. Do not obey your parents. Right? And it doesn't mean just if they try to do shirk. It means do not obey your parents if they try to get you to disobey me. Treat them with kindness, with nobility, with respect, with honor, with love, with affection, with care. But if they abuse that... If they abuse the fact that you are being nice to them and they emotionally blackmail you or try otherwise to get you to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Do not obey the parents. Nowhere in Quran does it say obey parents. It says be nice, be kind, treat well, respect. Obedience lies to Allah ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Know that no, your return is going to be to me. Don't worry about it, but I have to face my parents. The person says, how can I not listen to them? They're commanding me not to go to the masjid. They're commanding me don't listen to Quran. They're commanding me to do this, do that. How am I going to face them? That's what the person says, right? Allah Ta'ala's answer, Ho ho, ilayya marji'ukum. You're going to have to face me. Ilayya, it's to me, marji'ukum, that is your return. It is me to whom you will answer. It is to me who you will have to face. 
Don't obey them. فَلَا If they're asking you to disobey me. Clear message in Quran al-Karim. Right? And this is true for anyone. Don't obey the wife if she's telling you to disobey Allah Ta'ala. Don't obey the husband if he's telling you to disobey Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Don't obey the children if they're telling you to disobey Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Don't obey the employer if he's telling you to disobey Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Don't obey the professor if he's telling you to disobey Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. This is true for every relationship. That no matter what the deen may tell us about that relationship, we cannot obey. So your turn should be to me. And then I will inform you and tell you about what it is that you used to do. And those who have iman wa amilu salihat and do righteous actions. That we will surely admit them and enter them amongst the ranks of the salihin. Salihin, golden category to be in. And if you can show up on the Day of Judgment as one of the Salihin, you will be an asset for your parents. Your parents, some of your parents don't realize that. They're looking at this world. They can't even look behind, beyond the Zahir of Din. A little bit of facial hair disturbs them. One piece of cloth drives them up the wall. <laughs> right? They can't look beyond that. They're not able to realize what's going to happen in the Akhirah. If you can make yourself amongst the Salihin, and being the Salihin isn't just about face wear and facial cloth, it's about a whole lifestyle, the Zahir, about and everything. But if you can do that, then don't feel so bad if you have to disobey your parents to do that. Because they don't know better. You're actually doing husn towards them. You're actually being good for them, because on the day of judgment, those parents who have children from the Salihin, those parents have greater hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's part of doing husn. Sometimes disobeying them is part of the husn to do for them. Right? But they may not know. They may not know, but they will realize that, inshallah, ultimately on the day of judgment. Alright? Now I'll mention to you some hadith uh, about this. Here, first of all, it's coming, hope, maybe today, inshallah, Surah Luqman. You will see it, if not today, then tomorrow, that Allah SWT has mentioned that even in such a situation, when you don't obey them, it's going to come against Surah Luqman, you should nevertheless continue to be nice and sweet and on good terms with them. Right? This latote doesn't mean that, does not give any warrant and license to be rude or to be uncivil. You still have to maintain the husn while not obeying them if it means disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a great example of that was Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq who eventually all his family became believers but initially his wife because he had gotten married before Islam initially his wife didn't believe and then his daughter Sayyidina Asma Asma bint Abu Bakr right so she migrated to Medina Manawra with her father but the mother stayed in Makkah Makarma because she didn't believe then one day the mother came it's a long story but after certain treaties then there was some travel that was allowed so her mother went to Medina Manawra to visit her daughter. So she asked Sayyidina Rasulullah that, you know, uh, how should I be with my mother? And should I continue to financially assist my mother because she needs help? This hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah urged her that, no, you must treat your mother well and you must financially support her, even if she's an unbeliever, even if she's chosen to remain in Makkah even if she's allied with those forces who are against us, she's still your mother. So nobody's mother today could be allied to Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab, right? So it means no matter how distant any one of our parents must be from deen, we still have to be kind to them, still do their khidmah, still serve them, alright? Um, but we cannot obey them when they ask us to engage in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let me clarify this also. 
And it said, Alhamdulillah, today we're on good speed. So I can give you a couple of details. What is that disobedience? What is it? So my Dean says do X. Parents say don't do X. Is it only for the fard? So let me explain clearly to you. Those things that are fard, those things that are wajib, and those things that are sunnah muqqala, no, you cannot obey your parents at all. If your parents want you not to do something that is fard, not to do something that is wajib, not to do something that is sunnah muqqala, and I say this fully addressing the parents who are here without any jijak, mujitakoi darne parents. And I'm actually, I'm in between age-wise, between the younger crowd and the older crowd. You cannot tell your child not to do something that's fard, even if you think security, you know, you know, or not to do something that's wajib, or not to do something that's sunnah, right? Where's the tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? You're not sending him into the house of some enemy. You're sending him into a masjid which is baytullah. Right? And what's the worst that can happen? Technically, one in a billion chance, he'll become shaheed. There's no evil. That there's no wrong outcome that's going to take place. Right? So a parent is not allowed for the parent perspective. If a parent tells their child not to do something that is faraz or wajib or sunnah the parent is committing sin. And the child, no matter how old or young the child may be, and no matter how old or young the parent may be, and irrespective of the health condition of the parent, irrespective of the parent tells you, oh, I'm going to, and I'm going to show you that right now, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack if you continue what you're doing. Right? Then the emails come that she's going to have a heart attack. Now what should I do? It's coming. I'm going to show it to you from Hadith. This heart attack part. Right? You still can't listen. No. Obedience lies to Allah subhanahu and His Messenger sallallahu However, if there's something that's sunnat-e-ghayr also known as nafil, also known as mustahab, something that is preferred in deen, but not any level of requirement, or something that is purely optional in deen, if your parents don't want you to do that, then sometimes, not all the time, but also not never, and this is something that's a very delicate area, but sometimes, yes, you have to leave that mustahab for the sake of your parents. Right? That is there. That much concession can be there. So, to give you an example of this from Sahab Ikram, Sayyidina Sa'ad radiallahu was the favorite of his mother, but then he accepted Islam, and his mother just could not handle it. It drew the mother wild. So, she took a qasam on her false gods that I will not eat and I will not take shelter, I will stand in the hot sun until you renounce Islam. And this happened for one day, this happened for a second day. And then Sayyidina Saad went to Sayyidina Rasulullah and look, my mother, she's, she's, she's going hungry, it's been 48 hours now. And she's standing in the hot sun. What should I do? At that moment, this verse was revealed. Allah SWT answered the question emphatically, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا That you cannot obey them. There's no way you can renounce your deen because your mom is standing in the sun and making herself hungry. So what happened then? Sayyidina Saad and Sayyidina Rasulullah made dua to Allah subhanahu wa And then he went to her and he told his mother that, Oh my mother, Allahu Akbar, Ajeeb. He said, Oh my mother, even if you had a hundred lives to give, means you die of hunger or heat a hundred times, even then I cannot leave my deen. And when he said that to her, then she realized, either she realized from what he said, or it was his du'as, or the du'as of Sayyidina Rasulullah or the barak of his ikhlas, his mother, unfortunately, it's not the best story, 
doesn't say that his mother accepted Iman, but his mother, she broke her custom, broke her oath, and went back in the house and started eating again. Alright? Now yes, certainly this is literally about an extreme story of Iman and renouncing Iman, but again, the mother's amal was also extreme, standing in the sun and going hungry. So it means any emotional blackmail, even on the part of the parents, will not be allowed. Remember, parents are entitled good treatment by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran. So if they're disobeying that same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has entitled them and adorned children to be treating them well, then they are themselves putting themselves in a difficult situation. Alright? Okay. Verse number 10 onwards. And then they are amongst, okay, this is very, almost exact same wording of something that we have done earlier. Uh, and this is, here, uh, I'll translate a few, that there are some, up, there are some from the people who, what do they say? They say, we believe in Allah. But if they suffer any hardship, in the, for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they say we believe in Allah ta'ala and they try practicing and when they practice something happens, some opposition, some hostility, some enmity, some envy, some hardship in their mujahidatullah. Right? So what do they say? Uh, so when they're harassed on a, in, in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so they construe the strife of man as the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's read it again. Ja'ala fitnata They think that the way people are testing them or opposing them is a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So first thing I told you, no, it's not Allah ta'ala is not punishing. This is Allah ta'ala's testing. This is the way it is. It doesn't mean Allah ta'ala is angry at one's mujahada or one's amal. But then when a help, if were a help to come to them, from their, from your Rabb, meaning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inna kunna ma'akum, then they will certainly say that we are with you, the believers, that we are with you because we can see the help is coming on Iman. So then, awalaysallahu bi'a'lama bima fi sudur al-alameen, that does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not know best. In other words, Allah ta'ala is certainly best acquainted and most aware of what lies in the hearts and breasts. Alameen is universe, but it means in the beings of the universe. In these people. Alright. And certainly, surely Allah Ta'ala will know who are those who believe and who are the hypocrites. So what does this mean? Again, this is the weakness of certain certain weak Muslims who claim to accept Islam, but they would always sway back and forth. When the things were in the favor of Mushrikeen, they would say, we're with you. When things were in the favor of the Muslims, they'd say, we're with you. And then when things became difficult for the Muslims, they thought, oh, this is a punishment, so they would go back to the mushrikeen. What does it mean? It means, basically, you know, there are two types of munafiqeen. There were two types of munafiqeen. One were those who were deliberately chose to be munafiqeen, like devil agents. And others were those who were very weak in their iman. They kept wavering back and forth. So that second category is something that perhaps is closer to some of us, Right? And we should look at what causes them to waver back and forth, that double sohbah. 
They have sohbat. They, even though they accepted Islam, they kept the company of the mushrikeen and kuffar. So if a person has made a change in their life, is coming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wants to make a change in their life and come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one thing that can hamper them and hold them back is double sohbat. That they keep, sohbah means they associate with people who are trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while continuing to associate with people who are not cared about pleasing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who are not cared about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will keep bringing a person back and forth. And so you see that who ended up being sahaba, who ended up being liberated from this rank of weak Muslim or possible manafikin, they were those people who once they accepted Iman and Islam, they drowned themselves in the sohbah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam and their fellow sahaba, and they stopped associating with the non-believers and mushrikin. And again, we should remember that every usr is followed with yusr. Every hardship will be followed with ease. So a temporary affliction with hardship should not make a person leave their amal or become weak in their iman. Now look, verse 12. So those believers who are still associating with the disbelievers, the disbelievers are trying to get them to sin. So what do those who disbelieve say to those who believe? اِتَّبِعُوا سَبِيلَنَا That follow our way وَلْنَحْمِلْ خَتَايَاكُمْ And we will burden, take the burden of your sins. Let me give you an Urdu tarjama. Koi nahi bas humar saath aajai. Aajai humar saath. Koi nahi. Koi baas nahi. Gona hoga bhi to hum gona le lenge. That's how people talk. That's how whole community talks like this in Urdu. I'm literally telling you, you can study the patterns and behavior of the illiberal, they're not liberal, illiberal, intolerant, secular, non-practicing elites, you can find it in Quran. It's already there. It's already scripted. Yes, they talk like that. I'm not saying this to be funny. People talk like that. This is exactly Follow our way and we will bear the burden of your sins. So this is why when you keep the sohbah of those who don't want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who are not worried about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will keep inviting you to the things they do. They're not going to let you be. Yes, right? They keep inviting you to their way. So no, you can associate with them if you're strong enough to invite them to Allah's way. And if you're not that strong yet, you're still developing yourself, you're still struggling yourself in your own iman, you're having a tough enough time inviting your own self to Allah Ta'ala's way, then you have to protect yourself from that company. You have to protect yourself because they will, they, it's like a magnet, they're going to pull you in that direction. And so this is one of their arguments, right? And this is a terrible thing for them to say also. It shows their folly. They know how they're going to bear the burden of their own sins. Who in the world can take the sins of another person? Who in the world can do that? First of all, they will certainly not carry any drop of the sins. They're liars. They're mistaken or they're liars. They're both. In fact, they will only bear their own burdens and along with the burdens of others. What does it mean? 
It doesn't mean that they can take the sin off of you. If, if, what it means is X misleads Y. Y will still face their sin, but X will get that sin for misleading Y. Right? So it means they cannot relieve a person of the burden of sins. That's the best way to translate that. They will certainly not be able to relieve the others of their sins, but they will indeed carry the burden of the sins of those who they misguided into sin and misled into sin. That will happen. Right? And they will be asked, certainly and surely they will be asked and questioned, interrogated on the Day of Judgment about those things that they fabricated against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay, very good hadith in Sahih Muslim. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, that the person who guides a person to a good act will get the reward as if he acted upon it. Without the person who did it, their own reward being reduced at all. And similarly, that person who guides a person, guides, the word is dal, guides a person to sin, will get receive the sin of the person who he misguided without them losing their sin in the least. Alright? So it means that there's this, this, and this is most human beings are in who have any contact with another are either guiding or misguiding one another. It's very rare that you have a completely neutral relationship. And any two people when they're together. Someone is leaning or leading or affecting the other one. So this is uh, what the Bhaktim has taught us in our deen. Verse 14 honors, we can pick up some speed because these are all things that you have done before. Verse 14 of Swantas said, Walakadar Sana Nuhanila Kaumi did be sent to Islam to his people. Falabitha fihim alpha sanatin illa samsina ama, and he resided amongst them and did dawa on them for 1,050 years, yani 950 years. Allah Ta'ala used this expression because it's like we would say all, nearly 1,000 years. Allah Ta'ala wanted to be precise to let us know it was 950, but also give the touch of it that it was almost one millennium. That is how long, but only few people became believers. And then the flood overwhelmed them. And indeed, in such a state, when they had remained on their zulm, they were wrongdoers, oppressors, unjust. First thing, people love to ask the scientific question that how did Sayyidina Nusam live to be 950? Scientific answer. If there is a being who is Allah kulli shayin kabir, if there is a being who is capable of everything, and we can make somebody live for 950 years. He could have slowed his mitosis, slowed his cell division, slowed his aging process. These are things that are scientifically possible. That's why scientists are continually trying to discover this because they don't think that there's an afterlife. They want to be able to live on earth forever and they think that that is scientifically possible. So they keep at it trying to find how you can prolong a person's life expectancy. Right? That's it. It's that simple. Alright, otherwise the rest of Sayyidina Allah's some stories we mentioned details for Araf, Surah Hud, recent issues for Shara, and even Surah Nu itself, which is going to come later. Well, Ibrahima means, and we also said Sayyidina Ibrahima, some verse 16. Yes. Uh, sorry, فَأَنْجَيْنَا هُوَ وَأَصْحَابَ السَّفِينَةِ وَجَعَلْنَاهَا آيَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ And we rescued and saved and delivered Sayyidina Allah's some وَأَصْحَابَ السَّفِينَةِ And not his Ashab, because some his 
as you remember, his son wasn't saved, but all the people who were on that boat, and we made all of that an ayah for the alamin, a lesson for all of the worlds, and the worlds and the peoples to come. Ibrahim when he said to his community, that you worship Allah and you should fear Allah this is best for you, in Kuntum Ta'lamun, if indeed you could have that ilm, the ilm that is ilm of Hidayah, ilm of Deen, and instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you are worshipping, you're, instead of Allah you're only worshipping uh, Othanan. Othanan means this images and idols, fabricated images and idols in place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you have manufactured this falsehood. This is all, this whole religion of idolatry is just a manufactured falsehood that you have concocted. And indeed those, uh, indeed you, indeed those who worship beings, anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they will not, they, they, they are such, you are worshipping such idols that don't have the ability to give you any risk they cannot give you any sustenance and nourishment. Therefore you should seek your sustenance with Allah subhanahu and you should worship Him and you should be grateful to Him because to Allah subhanahu alone will you surely be returned. But if you deny this, you falsify this, you reject this, you repeat this. And indeed, many communities did so before you. Of re- repeated sentence in Quran, and indeed there is nothing incumbent upon Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi except the clear delivery, the delivery of that which is clear and that which is clarifying. Right? And this is first also on Sayyidina Ibrahim Alaihi but also generally for all of the Anbiya Mursaleen, including Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, verses number 19 onward. Awalamiyar Kaifa Yubdiullahul Khalka. Do they not see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala initially Yubdu from Bidaya begins creation and then Yu'iduhu and then he recreates it and renews it in the Dalaka Allah Yusir and then this is easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean so you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm, creates an animal and then the animal dies but then gives birth to an animal or you can see how every day, every single day, beings are born or died. Every day plants wilt and die, plants grow and flourish. Every day flowers die, flowers bloom and blossom. Every day this happens. Every day. And so you should travel on this earth. And then you should see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has originated creation. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He produces, He he creates the creation, Bada al Khalq, he begins and creates the creation first. Thummallahu Yunshi Unnashat al Akhirah and then Allah Subhanahu leads it to its final you can say final genesis to its final stage. Indeed Allah Subhanahu is all powerful over all things. Yudhibuman Yashau and Allah Subhanahu will send his punishment on whomsoever his justice decrees that he should will to punish that person. And Allah will send his mercy on whomsoever his mercy fancies that he should be merciful towards such a person. And to Allah subhanahu you will all be returned and received by him. And you can never ever 
you will never be able to escape, not nor on this earth nor in the firmaments. And other than Allah Subhanahu, you have no wali, no nasir, no benefactor, and no helper. So what does this mean? It means that our deen is teaching us this feeling that Allah Ta'ala alone is our wali and Allah Ta'ala alone is our nasir. And until unless we start feeling like that, we haven't been feeling Quran. All the time, at every moment, we should consciously feel that I am a mu'min, Allah Ta'ala is my wali. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Allahu waliyul ladheena amanu, Allah Ta'ala is the wali of those who believe. Allahu waliyul mu'mineen, Allah Ta'ala is the wali of the believers. So you should feel that Allah Ta'ala is your wali. Even before he even necessarily manifests some miraculous act of his wilaya over you, you should feel that wali means he's my guardian, benefactor, caretaker, friend, intimate companion, and nasir, and that Allah Ta'ala is my ultimate helper, he helps me wherever and whenever I need it. وَالَّذِينَ كَفُرُ And as far as those who disbelieve and deny and repeat and reject the verses of Allah Ta'ala's revelation and his signs, وَلِقَائِهِ And they deny that they will meet him, they deny the meeting of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa that what has happened this is another beautiful verse in Quran that what happened actually they have despaired and lost hope in my mercy that's what Allah Ta'ala is saying he doesn't get angry at them he doesn't say that they're arrogant they're this and that says no this is the problem why is it that they don't think they're going to meet me it's because they've forgotten my mercy and because they have lost hope in my mercy then yes, then they will end up with a painful torment punishment so what does this mean? this means that dawah the first thing to call a person to if you find a person who disbelieves in Quran or a non-practicing believer or a skeptical agnostic atheist believer right? and who denies the meaning with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Show them the mercy of Allah because that's what Allah is saying. That's what humanity has forgotten. What has humanity forgotten? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have to show a person, reacquaint them with Allahur Rahmanur Rahim. And when you do that, that is the way to soften their heart for Iman or to soften their heart for Amal Andi. Verse 24 onwards. Then there was no reply that the community of St. can give except that what did they say? That you should kill him or you should burn him. This is something we did very recently and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him from the fire. And indeed in that there is an ayah for the people who believe. This is important. Right? Up to now, many times the ayats have been for the kuffar so that they adopt iman. Here Allah Ta'ala is saying is this is a sign for the believers. So what is that sign? No matter what opposition you face due to your iman, even if people threaten you with death or they threaten to burn you alive, Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is your wali, He is your nasib. You should never look at the outward opposition that you face on your deen and therefore abandon or retract from your deen. This is a lesson for us. This is an ayah for for that community who are believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. innama that Sayyidina Ibrahim said to them uh, that you have merely taken to worship all of these idols uh, out of your... This is an important part. Mawaddata baynakum due to your mutual love for one another or due to love and feelings between one another in the life of this world but then on the day of judgment but actually what was going to happen that part, 
part of you or some of you, some of you or groups of you on the Day of Judgment, you will deny each other. Some of you will curse one another. So it means that you will deny one another and you will curse one another on the Day of Judgment. Whereas in this world, you are doing it out of support for one another. And your abode will be the fire of Jahannam. And there you will have no helpers whatsoever. So what does this mean? That you're doing it out of emulation, conformity, peer pressure, out of your love to belong and a sense of belonging and you want people to be happy. And you're doing it to please one another. But on the Day of Judgment, you won't be pleased with one another. You will be against one another at all. So one another, cursing one another. Each blaming the other for this. So this is another example. Another example, right? This is what happens to a lot of us who at some point in our life or people today slip into this mistake of non-practice. Right? Why? For the sake of one another. Because of their mutual love for another. Then may apne dosto ko kaise chhod sakta ho? Mawadda. Mawadda. So that says, your love for them is what's trapping you. Yes, if they're causing you to disbelieve or disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll have to leave it. You have to leave it. You have to leave it. This is what Allah is saying. And then Allah is saying, look, fine, even if you can maintain that friendship in this world, you'll be cursing one another. You'll be cursing one another. So better that if you really are a friend to that person, right? It's better for them also, not just you, but for them also that you withdraw. Right? And then if you make yourself strong and then you rekindle that friendship with them to bring them to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? But a very important point here is that the reason given for their idol worship is just their mutual camaraderie and muwadda between one another. Now Allah mentions Sayyidina Lut So actually first what happens is Sayyidina Lut first becomes a mu'min. He believes in Ibrahim alayhi then later Ibrahim and Lut go away and then Allah Ta'ala bestows Nabuwa later on Sayyidina Lut as well. So Muqala, so uh, verse number 26, that Sayyidina Ibrahim Salam said, although some clear, say, yeah, some translated as Sayyidina Lut but it's preferred according to the ulama of the seers that this should be viewed as the goal of Sayyidina Ibrahim Muqala and Ibrahim Salam said, Inni muhajirun ila rabbi, that I'm going to migrate to my Rabb. Now what does it mean? Innahu huwa azizul hakim, that indeed my Rabb is almighty, always. Means I'm going to migrate to a place where I can worship and obey my Rabb properly. And so when Ibrahim Salam left, he took Sayyidina Lut with him. So this suggests that hijra is that if you're not able to do amal on your deen in any place that you're living, right, due to whatever reason, and there is a place where you would be able to do amal on your deen, then you have to migrate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Asma wa Abnadahu Ishaq wa Yaqub and then we bestowed upon Sayyidina Ibrahim son Ishaq and Yaqub, his son, his grandson, wa Ja'alna fi dhurriyatihin nabuwata. And all of the Anbiya afterwards came from the progeny of Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam. Nabuwa itself was from his progeny. Well, well, Kitaba and then we bestowed a scripture and scriptures were also coming in this progeny wa Ta'inahu. Ajuhu fi dunya. And he also got reward in this world. Right, and so this is meaning that this is the reward that he got in this world. That as far as legacy in the world, that from his progeny henceforth would flow prophets and scriptures. 
and as far as the akhirah, we know who fil salihin, and indeed in the akhirah he will be amongst the salihin, amongst the righteous believers and worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, so what happened was that when Sayyidina Ibrahim is going to migrate, he takes his wife, Ummul Anbiya Sara, anha, and Lut with him, and they migrated from this place that they were, that Babylon type place between Iraq and Iran, they migrated to Philistine. Then when he migrated, after that he made du'a to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala grant me a son. Then Allah Ta'ala granted him Ishaq Islam, And then later Ishaq Islam will give birth to his grandson, will, uh, will father his grandson, Sayyidina Yaqub Islam. Sayyidina Ismail Islam is going to be born from his other wife, Ummulan Mahajir Anha. Right? Okay. And indeed, uh, this is also something else I was mentioning in the Quran to reach out to the Ahli Kitab and this common belief in the prophethood of Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam. Verses 28 onwards then, the story of Sayyidina Lut is coming again, even though we have done this before in Surah Araf and Surah Hud and Surah Hijr and Surah Shura and we did it just recently in Surah Namal. So we will go through this in Sayyidina Lut and remember when we sent, verse 28, Lut Islam when he said to his people, Indeed, you have committed and perpetrated and engaging in, in gross, obscene indecency. No single one person in the entire history of the universe has ever done this, meaning the indecency you're doing is unprecedented in the world. So this was actually the beginning and the advent. And this shows that Allah Ta'ala does send hidayah whenever the, when the community started doing this. The second humans did it, Allah Ta'ala sent them a prophet. Allah Ta'ala didn't leave them at their whims. The second humanity engaged in the sin, the first community, Allah Ta'ala sent a Nabi to them, Sayyidina Lut Alayhi Right? And then here Allah Ta'ala mentions three of the sins that are innakum latatuna rijal that do you Literally, do you actually go unto men, right? And sabil, uh, and this means that you cut off the path. This can have multiple interpretations, which I'll explain. And do you perpetuate evil in your nadikum al munkar? Do you bring and perpetuate evil in your gatherings? They had no reply whatsoever that, they, that his people had no reply they could give him. So the only thing they could say is produce for us the punishment of Allah Spalta if indeed you are amongst the truthful. That O my Rabb assist me against this community which is Mufsid that is spreading trouble and corruption. Alright. So what are these sins that they did? Right, so the first sin, I think you all understood that. The second, uh, what does it mean, this word, sabil? Okay. The first meaning of this is just referring to the same act that you have cut off or severed the right path, yani towards women, and you are engaged in the path towards men. Second meaning is this is what maybe in English you would say is highway robbery, right? that they used to rob people who used to be traveling on the caravan trade routes. Third meaning is that you have cut the path to human reproduction by engaging in homosexuality as opposed to heterosexuality. You have cut the sabil, the path on which insan procreates. You have cut off the path to human procreation and reproduction. Uh, 
Fourth meaning is that they used to prevent people from passing through their towns, uh, and if anybody tried to pass through their town, they would attack them or harass them. Now the third thing that they did, that they perpetuated evil in their gatherings. So according to some narrations that they used to, again, stone whoever used to pass by. Uh, sorry, they used to throw stones at passers-by. Whoever stone landed on that person, touched that person, then they would view that they owned that person and they would rape that man. So they were also engaged in a type of rape. So either way, what we see from here is that at that time they were engaged in severe deviation, right? And you see that the point was that that sin of homosexuality led them to other types of sins and perversions. And you see the same thing happening today, right? The whole child, the sins that people do with children are often committed by people who had done sins with members of the same gender. So it means that this is such an ill and such an evil that it leads to evil upon evil upon evil, right? Okay, so where were we? This is verse... Uh, so, so, so in verse number 31, So when our messengers or emissaries came to say Ibrahim, these are angels, right? And the angels came with bushra of glad tidings to him that he's going to have a son. Then second thing they did, then the emissary says, Inna mutluku And we've come as to this, we've come to destroy the people of the town. Inna ahlaha kanu Indeed, the people of this community are wrongdoers. Inna fiha luta. So but Lut is here amongst them. So don't destroy them while Lut is amongst them. Kalu, the emissaries, the angels said, that we know we are even more knowing and we know best who is in there. And so what happens in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revelation to say that him and the handful of believers they should leave the city so Allah Ta'ala can send his punishment. However, what is mentioned here, that we will certainly, the angels say, we will certainly save him and deliver him to salvation, him and his ahl, illam ra'atuhu, except his wife. Right? And his wife was not kalat min al-ghabirin, his wife will be amongst those who will be left behind. In other words, the punishment will come down upon her as well. This suggests that Obviously, a woman would not be involved in that sin because by its definition, that is a sin that takes place between two men. But sometimes you may have women who assist in that or think it's okay or who legitimate it or who befriend such men or who think such activities are okay. So that is also a sin, right? And therefore, she was left behind and the punishment came. Now what happened was that when the angels, who were the emissaries of Al-Sbantla, came to say, he was troubled and uneasy and he saddened by their presence. Why? One reason they say that he was because he realized that now the punishment has come and the community, because every Nabi wants that the community they've been sent to does take Iman and does stay away from the punishment. Second, some of us have even taken it this way because they came as beautiful angels although he knew his community couldn't do it but now he's going to be so embarrassed because he was worried that my community will try to actually mm, solicit these young men who are actually angels because the angels obviously well, even when they appear in human form they are very beautiful, right? Or handsome. So he was even more worried that okay now I'll be so embarrassed that the comb I've been sent to is actually going to solicit the angels. 
Either way, they said to him, Don't fear, nor should you grieve. Inna, then indeed we were going to rescue you and your family, except for your wife, she will be of those who will be left behind. Right? Then Allah says that, Inna munziluna ala ahli Ridzan min as Allah said that we sent down a ridge, which is the punishment on them from the sky. Why? Because they were perpetually ever committing fisk. They were always engaged in immoral disobedience. And indeed we have left them behind. It means left the ruins of them behind as a sign. And who is that going to be a sign for? It's an ayatam bayyinatan, a clear manifest sign. They call me yakunun for any community that has understanding, that has intellect. Different commentators have suggested where this may be found, but this much is known that the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarma used to pass by the ruins of Sodom and they could see that. Verses 36 onwards, and we have sent uh, to Majan, their brother Shuaib, again, this is stuff that we've done recently, who said to them, Oh, my people, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you should yearn for and expect and anticipate the Yom al the last day, and you should not spread fitna, fasad, and corruption and sedition on earth. But they denied Sayyidina. Shuaib Islam and Allah says then we then seized them with an earthquake and mourning found them such that they were kneeling down in their homes. Then 38 and similarly Allah says and similarly we destroyed the people of Ad and Thamud whose uh, as is evident to you and is apparent to you by the ruins of the ruins of their dwellings. Shaitan beautified their deeds and made their acts pleasing to them and Shaitan prevented them from the path of following Hidayah even though Wakanu even though they were people of deep intelligence and insight. This is one extra point to make here. Wakanu that despite their intelligence they were unable to accept. Despite their intelligence they were unable to see through Shaitan's beautification of their Atmal. Despite their intelligence they were led astray from the straight path. So this is very important that you will find people today again. You should never worry that oh so and so is so intelligent and he's an atheist. I'm really shaken up that such how could such an intelligent person be an atheist? No, there are very intelligent people that not despite their in spite of their intelligence, this was Mustafsirin, in spite of their deep insight and intelligence Still, they were fooled by shaitan and they were unable to follow the path of Hidayah. All this has been done and Allah says we also destroyed Karun and Fir'aun and Haman. Right? And Sayyidina Musa Samhid came to them with clear signs and proofs but they considered themselves, they were arrogant and considered themselves to be great on this earth. However, they were not they weren't the first to do so or you could translate it, but they were not able to escape or outrun the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَقُلَّنْ to each and every single one of them أَخَذْنَا بِذَنْبِهِ that we punished them for their sins and amongst them there were those that we sent a violent storm to punish them. Amongst them there were those that were seized by blast Amongst them there were those who we made the earth and ground follow them. And then amongst them there were others who we drowned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then ends this part by saying, وَمَاكَانَ اللَّهُ لَيَذْلِمَهُمْ But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was never ever one to oppress them or be unjust to them. وَلَكِنْ But rather, كَانُوا أَنفُسُهُمْ يَذْلِمُونَ But rather they had wronged and oppressed their own selves. All of these stories have gone past. Ayah number 41 now comes the ayah of Ankabut of the spider. That the likeness of those who have taken as friends and defenders and benefactors and allies, awliya, 
other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are like the spider. Right? They are like the spider. This doesn't mean, by the way, right, this ayah should not be misused, that if a person has respect for awliyaullah, those are awliya of Allah. This is being mentioned, mindunillah, awliya, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? What does it mean that that person who is worshipping God, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are like the spider. Now what does that mean? Ittakhat baitan, that literally means it made a home, it means that the web of a spider. So when the spider spins its web, so you know that their nest or the web that they make, when the ohanul bayut, it is the flimsiest and most frail of homes and houses. A spider web, you can just slice through it with a finger. Right? It's very light and ephemeral. It's very flimsy. So, And need the flimsiest and most frail of homes is the home of the spider. If only they knew, if only they had that ill. Inna Allah ya'lamu ma yud'una min dunihi Indeed Allah subhanahu knows each and everything min shayin Everything that they call upon besides himself Wa huwa al-azizul hakim And Allah is almighty and all wise Al-hakim can also mean he is almighty And has entirely the power to judge and issue hukum He is the almighty and the all-judging and all-decreeing Alright Wa tilka al-amthalun nadhribuha lil-nas Indeed, these are the examples that we coin, and these are the comparisons that we draw for humanity. Remember, I told you, akl and ilm, and this is now that place in Quran where these two things come together: akl and ilm, that they will not be able to properly understand them illalalimun except the people who have ilm. Some of the rare places are alimun, normally it's ulama is the plural, but here in Quran, alimun is what is used, the people who have ilm. So what does it mean? Akal without ilm is not accepted in Quran. Akal with ilm. So when a person talks about deen, many of the popular speakers on TV talk on the basis of their akal without ilm. Many desi uncles and aunties talk about Quran on the basis of akal, not ilm. You'd be amazed how many other places in this month of Ramadan people are teaching Quran on the basis of akal without ill. Or akal with a little ill, not with proper ill. So here Allah SWT is making clear in Quran, Ma yaqiluha illan that no, even akal is not going to be able to use properly except by the people who have ilm, because the real faculty and ability and potential and brilliance and genius of akal is only unlocked and open when a person has ilmul Qur'an, ilmul sunnah, ilmul deen. And until a person has that ilm, their akal is hampered. They're not able to make use of that akal. Right? They're not able to make use of it properly. Khalaqallahu samawati wal arda bil haqqi indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the heavens and the earth bil haqqi in absolute truth inna fi dhalika laayatun lil mu'mineen indeed again a sign for who for the mu'mineen and before Allah Ta'ala was referring to his natural creation as a sign for disbelievers to take iman here it is being mentioned as a sign for believers so what does it mean that the believers should also even having adopted iman they should continue to reflect on the majestic nature of Allah Ta'ala's creation and be humbled by that and they should feel the azmat of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala as reflected in his azim khalq or in his majestic creation. 
Verse 45, now we enter the last 10 Ajza of Qur'an al-Karim, beginning of 20th Juz. A'udhu billahi minu shaitan al-rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Utluma uhiya ilayka min al-kitabi wa aqimis salah. So first it is addressed to Sayyidina Rasulullah to recite what has been revealed to you, my beloved Messenger from the book, and you should establish salah. So again, like what I mentioned to you, tilawa. Tilawa is a very important aspect of our deen, to recite Qur'an al-Karim in Arabic. Arabic. Even if you don't understand it, to do tilawa of Qur'an is part of deen. And to establish the salah, inna salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munka. Okay, this means that indeed salah is something that is going to prevent a person from obscenity, from that which is an abomination. And munkar, munkar literally means things that are disavowed, means things that have been prohibited. But literally in English we would call it disavowed. Allah Ta'ala disavows things that are evil, right? Su and Sayyya, Su means evil, Munkar means that which is disavowed, but because it is, once it is disavowed by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, it means you can view it as an evil. Alright. What does this mean? It means that Salah has the potential, potential in it, if it is performed properly, with regularly, with due diligence, with passion, zahiran and batinan, with itminan in the zahir, with huzur in the qalb, with presence of heart, it has the ability to stop a person. So the more, the better a person makes a salah, the better able that salah will be to stop a person from this fosh and munkar things. Once Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, a sahaba came and complained to him that uh, about a person who performs salah at night but stole in the daytime. So the Prophet responded that as long as that person keeps praying, eventually their salah will stop him from doing that evil. Alright? And some ulama said the bare minimum is that at very least while they're praying salah, during salah, because they're occupied and engaged in salah, they're not able to do anything that is from the fasha and the munkar. But it means that in most important perhaps is that you have to make niyyah of this ayah. means that when you pray salah, one reason why people salah is not able to stop them from sin is because that's not their intention when they pray. They just pray out of habit or pray out of ritual. No, they should pray with the niyyah of change. They should pray with the niyyah of transformation. They should enter the salah with the intention that this prayer is going to overwhelm me. This prayer is going to overturn me. If they pray with that niyyah, إِنَّمَا أَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ Sayyidina Rasulullah said that actions will be according to their intentions. So they should have that niyyah. Next thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse 45, وَلَذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa is the greatest thing on earth. Allah subhanahu wa is the greatest thing period. And the greatest thing after Allah subhanahu wa is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa knows each and every single thing tasna'oon that you do, every amal that you do. So many, many hadith of Nabiya Kareem Sassam on the greatness of dhikr. One is that we mentioned if you weren't Sahih Muslim, the Day of Judgment won't happen until a person is always saying Allah Allah. A second is that uh, elsewhere Allah Ta'ala is salat the dhikr that you should establish salat for the sake of dhikr. Sayyidina Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidina Ashram said in Sahih Muslim that Sayyidina Rasulullah was doing dhikr at all times. Any act that is done according to Sharia and Sunnah for the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala counts as dhikr. 
Then any particular act of remembering Allah Ta'ala, there's so many of these things mentioned. For example, in Bukhari, are two kalimatani, khafifatani, there are two sentences that are light on the tongue, but they're heavy on the scales on the Day of Judgment. And in one hadith, Nabi Akrim Sassam said that the best dhikr on the tongue is to say, La ilaha illallah, of the dhikri, the best dhikr is to say, La ilaha illallah. In other days in Bukhari, that was in Tirmidhi, in other days in Bukhari, the Prophet Sassam said, that uh, one Sahaba Abu Musa Ashrina asked the Prophet to be informed of what is the treasure of Jannah, and the Prophet says the recitation of La Hawla wa La Quwwata illa billahi al-Aliyyul Adim. So there are many sentences. That doesn't mean that you just recite La Ilaha because it's the best one. Allah Taala has made many type of dhikr adhkar in the Deen. Another day the Prophet said that that dhikr of the heart is seventy times better than dhikr of the tongue. So that is another type of dhikr. So this is the great manifestation of dhikr. It is akbar in terms that it is akbar. It is great in its reward. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is great in its effect. It is great in number. Great many types of dhikr Allah ta'ala has made. Wala tujadullah ahlu kitabi illa billatihi asan. Allah ta'ala says in verse 46, And do not contest and argue and debate with the people of the book except that which is best or unless with that which is better. Except, however, except those who were unjust and oppressive from amongst them. And what you say, that we believe in that which was revealed to us. We believe in that which was revealed to you. What does that mean? We believe in the original Torah that was revealed to you. What you have now is not what is not entirely what was revealed to you, but we believe in the Torah and we believe in the Jeel. And indeed, our God and your God is one God. And indeed we are submitters and only to that same one God. Right? And this is why some ulama have said that it is permissible to use the English word God if you are trying to communicate to them this point because some of those uh, non-Muslims who are very twisted against Islam, they make it sound in English as if Allah is some other God, like Ram, like he's like another Ram or a Zeus or has another name, as opposed to God, right? They'll even say in English, Muslims don't believe in God, they believe in Allah. Like we would say Hindus don't believe in God, they believe in Ram. So sometimes as a technique to overcome that misinterpretation, that people are giving, you can use the word God for Allah SWT in English if your niyyah is to get this across. But if you're within and amongst Muslims, then there's no need to use the word God. You should say the word Allah SWT. That for Muslims between themselves and amongst themselves to use the word God shows really just a unnecessary capitulation to Western language and mentality. right? Because the word God, you cannot divorce Judeo-Christian concepts from it. Whereas the word Allah is absolutely pure from any such concept. Okay? So to use the word God with a non-Muslim, acceptable. But to use the word God amongst and between Muslims is not the proper thing to do. Then Allah says in verse 47, For indeed we have revealed the book to you. We read Quran came to you, Nabi Akrim So those to whom we have given the scripture believe in it. And then there are some of them... Uh, and some of these people, some of these Ahl Kitab, they believe in it as well. It's only the ungr- it's only the disbelievers 
who disbelieve in the verses of Allah What does it mean that the Ahl Kitab believe in parts of Quran? Even today, if you give the Quran to a practicing Christian or even Jew, there will be parts of it that, oh, I completely agree with this. It is completely, it is the same thing that we have, right? But obviously an atheist won't agree with anything in it, right? So this is what Allah is saying. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions verse 48, a very important point. وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْلُو مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَلَا تَخُطُّهُ بِيَمِينَكَ إِذَا لَرْتَابَ الْمُبْدِلُونَ Allah Ta'ala says that indeed, Nabi Yuqtasim, that you were unable to recite any book before this. Nor could you write بِيَمِينَك means with your right hand. And indeed, it's just the people of falsehood who are on batil, who have been cast into doubt, who have been skeptical. This is the fact that Nabi Karim says, and Nabiul Ummiyi, that the false Islam was illiterate and unlettered, right? Uh, and here, this is being mentioned here as a sign to the Ahl Kitab, because in the scriptures of the Ahl Kitab, it was told them to them that the last and final messenger will be Ummi. And they also knew the Prophet personally and knew that he was a person who did not read and write. And so that itself shows the miraculous nature of the Qur'an al-Karim. Right? Today's educated Muslim sometimes finds this an embarrassment. Naudzubillah. Right? That my Prophet was illiterate. Right? So you have to understand actually that this is precisely the message that Allah is trying to convey. Right? That sha'an in the law, that a person's maqam in the law, subhanahu wa ta'ala, has nothing to do with their lettered education, or how many letters they add after their name, even though we may have to add them for some reason or the other, right? It has to do with their maqam in the law. So we shouldn't be embarrassed about that in any way. In fact, it is part of the miraculous nature. Then they ask in verse 50, that, that why are not signs revealed? Why are not signs revealed upon him, meaning on the Prophet from his Rabb, to call innamal ayatu in the law? That first of all, all the ayat are in Allah Ta'ala's control. Nabi Akram cannot make a miracle happen on its own. Right? So, so say to them that the Prophet tell them that and tell them, second, innamal ana nadiru mabin, that I am but a clear warner. And in any case, Allah Ta'ala says, that is not sufficient for them as a sign of us that we have revealed a book to you which is recited to them, which you recite to them. And what does that mean? That the Quran itself is a miracle. Number one, because you're Ummi, right? And the Quran has been recited. Number two, because it is full of Balagha and there are people who are Arabic. It's a Quran in Arabiya. And number three, because he's telling you, reciting to you tales of Jewish and Christian scripture that he could never have known. He's reciting to you incidents, knowledge of which he could have never known or foreseen. So the Quran itself is a miracle for him. It's a miracle sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Actually, I forgot to comment on this first part, which is verse number 46, that you should uh, only discuss and dispute with the Ahl Kitab with that which is Asan. What does that mean? That you should speak to them in the most noble and the best of ways. Whether you're trying to talk to them about Let's say that Isa Islam is not the son of Allah SWT, or you're trying to invite them to the Nabu of Nabi Yukrim Sallallahu However it may be, right, they should be addressed in soft tones, without anger, without bitterness, without sarcasm, without cynicism. Uh, and the exception that those who are unjust, what does that mean? That those who are completely unjust and harsh and uncompromising, 
it means that sometimes you can speak sternly to them, you can speak in a stern and serious tone to them. Right? Yes, and the last part here uh, is in the fidalika la rahmatum And indeed, in this Quran al Karim is a rahma, is a mercy, and is a dhikra, is a reminder, admonishment, and advice. For a community who is believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again, we have here that the knowledge of Quran al Karim is going to be. Uh, Right, verse 49, I missed a verse. But indeed, this Quran al-Karim is ayat, bayanat, are clear verses and clarifying verses of revelation. But they will be clear and they will be clarifying for who? For those people in whose breasts and hearts Allah Ta'ala has bestowed ilm upon them. So ilm is going to be required to see the clarity of Quran. Ilm is going to be required to see the clarifications provided by Quran al-Karim. Right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, bi ayatina That no one denies and rejects the verses of revelation in the Zalimun, except those who are unjust and wrongdoers and oppressors. And then was the rest which I had already done. So it means that this Quran is a rahmah and an admonishment for those who have iman in their kalb. And qawm means that if there's ever a qawm, an entire community or society which wants to be guided, then they will find that the Qur'an al-Karim has, is a mercy and is sufficient to guide them in terms of their societal life. Verse 52, The state of the My Beloved Messenger son that Allah Ta'ala is sufficient as a witness between me and between you, that Allah knows everything that is in the firmaments, the skies and the earth, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْبَاطِلِ وَكَفُرُوا بِاللَّهِ أُولَاهِكَهُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ And those who instead believe in batil, so here you can say really what we say, atheism is a faith. No such thing, atheist says, I have no faith. No, he also has an iman, but it's an iman on something that's batil. He's also believing on something that is unproven, because the non-existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also not something that is proven. So it's also an iman, but the difference is, is that our iman is on haq and their iman is on batil. And they deny that they will be the losers, they will lose out on the love and mercy and help of Allah Ta'ala in this world, and they will lose out on the vision and the presence of Allah Ta'ala for all eternity in the Akhirah. So they will have an ultimate loss and a penultimate loss. Then this is a adab. They seek to hasten you. They urge you to hasten the punishment. Means they used to say, that if the punishment is going to come, send it now. So tell them that if musamma, if it had not been for a prescribed term, then indeed the punishment would surely have befallen them. But when it does come to them, that it will come to them suddenly, it will catch them entirely unaware. Then fifty-four, they seek. Uh, Same thing that they seek to rush you and urge you to hasten the penalty. Even though even though indeed that punishment is such that the fire of hell, Jahannam, will surround and envelop the unbelievers. 
It will be a day that the penalty comes upon them from over their heads. From on top of them and from under him. Means they will be enveloped and surrounded by that punishment. And Allah subhanahu will say to them, to the unbelievers in Jahannam, Now taste what you have produced. Taste what you used to do. And reap what you used to sow. Verse 56 this is a beautiful way that Allah Ta'ala now switches the khitab and this is one of the beautiful ways He addresses the believers. Ya ibadi alladina amanu, which is even more beautiful than Ya ayyuhalladina amanu. The normal way is Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, this is a khas way. Ya ibadi alladina amanu, inna ardi wasiyatun fa iyaya fa'budun. That, oh my servants, those of my servants of mine who truly believe in me, know that my land on this earth and my dominion, my dominion and domain is extremely vast. So it should be me and me alone that you worship in ibadah. And know that each and every nafs will indeed taste death, will die. And to us and us alone where every one of you be returned. Alright. Here... What was happening here? This was again something to do with the hijra that the Muslims who were living in Makkah Mukarramah were afraid that if we go on hijra, we will be to Medina Manara, we will lose our homes in Makkah Mukarramah. So Allah SWT is saying, or there's some difficulty in relocating, put it that way. So Allah SWT is saying, is know that my expanse, my earth is wide. And again, this is what we say that if anybody is living in a place or a society or in a home for that matter, where they're not able to follow the injunctions of deen completely, they have to migrate from that, they have to leave that. And whatever outward difficulties they may fear, opposition from someone, hostility from someone, enmity from someone, poverty from some way, they have to leave that and they have to go to that place. Right? Indeed, then this, it's come before in Quran, but again, very important ayah, that every single Self and soul shall taste death. Means death is the ultimate reality after which then we will be presented in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As far as those who have iman and do righteous deeds, and then we will establish and settle them. And we did this for you before ghurafa, sometimes in balconies, in lofty dwellings, in lofty dwellings and mansions and palaces in Jannah. And underneath which rivers flow and they will dwell therein. And indeed wonderful is the reward and perfect is the reward for the amilin, those who are actors and doers and workers who follow and practice the injunctions and teachings of deen. And those who had to have sabr because when they tried to do amal on deen then maybe they were faced with some difficulty. And throughout upon their rub and their rub alone did they have to they placed all of their trust and reliance and dependence on him especially when it came to the sense of amal on deen giving them the himmah to do amal on deen the istikamah to do amal on deen the kubuliyat of that amal on deen min la tahmilu and here what it means that how many animals are there that don't fetch or don't carry their provisions what does it mean Allah Ta'ala is giving a sign number one that animals normally when they travel they don't take provisions with them so if there's a bird is migrating south, the bird doesn't get a backpack and put a whole bunch of seed on it before it migrates south. So what is Allah saying? That just like animals don't need to worry about their provision, just like that Allah Ta'ala has made his ibadi al-ladina amanu like that, that they can be so close to Allah Ta'ala that they may reach a state, especially when they do hijrah, that they won't have to worry about the provision of Allah Subhanahu Right? 
Because next what does the Prophet say? Allahu yarzukuha. Allah Ta'ala gives a risk to that animal without that animal having to store it or carry it or retain it or plan for it. And Allah Ta'ala can give risk to you in the similar and like manner. Indeed Allah Ta'ala is all hearing and all knowing. And indeed Nabi Yaqim Sassam in some hadith has mentioned that when a person migrates, does hijrah for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then they never ever have to worry about their risk. Right? Okay, verse number 61. <laughs> if you were to ask them, uh, who has created the Samawat and the earth, who has created the heavens and the earth, and who has subjugated and established the sun and the moon in their orbits, they in fact would reply, Allah. So then the question is, Then why are they wandering? Where are they? What's their problem? Why are they deceived then if they know that Allah SWT has done this? Allah Ta'ala expands the risk, expands his sustenance and nourishment on his ibad from whomsoever he wishes. And he stipulates and sets it and limits it for whomsoever he wants. In Allah bi Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge over each and every single thing. Again, if you ask them a question, well, then, that if you ask them, who is it that sends down rainwater from the sky, and brings to life earth and soil that had gone barren, after it had died, they would say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Say that all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the vast majority of them don't have sense. What? They don't have sense. The senses, they don't realize that that same Allah ta'ala who's created the universe and everything in it, they don't have the sense to realize that they should submit themselves and subjugate themselves to His command and that they should worship Him and worship Him alone. وَمَا هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَى اللَّحْوَ اللَّعِبُ That indeed this whole life of this world is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's right as creator of this world to tell us what is the hakikah and reality of this world. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? That indeed the entire life and matter of this world is nothing but lahmu wa la'ib, is nothing but play and sport, is nothing but futility and play. But however, the abode of the hereafter, lahil hayawan. And that is the real, uh, let's say, the home of the after. That is life. That is true life. If only they had ill. If only they really knew. And here Allah Ta'ala's every effort was to give us that ilm, sending all of the books, sending scriptures, sending anbiya, sending, giving us a fitra, the insani that is believing in him, sending us hidayah upon that fitra, creating an ummah of siddiqeen, salihin. Every effort has been done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that kanu so that people could be ones who know, but still they choose not to know, they choose to remain in ignorance. So what does it mean? So one commentator gave an example like this, that if children are playing at home with make-believe food, 
But they realize that that food is make-believe and they still have to get the real food. So all of the stuff in this world is just make-believe, is fleeting. You won't take it with you into the grave. So if a person gets the risk of the dunya, earns the wealth and degrees and status of the world, but is not able to get anything from the akhirah, it's like the person who just has a plate of make-believe food. Or I can give you the example of monopoly, right? So people who play monopoly, if they play a little bit too much, they may get deluded to thinking that they actually own boardwalk and park place and that money in those hotels have any meaning. But anyone with any sense would say that no, that's all make-believe, it's fictional. It has no real substance. So that's what Al-Spantel is saying, that this whole world, the life of world itself, is lahum wa laib, all of it. All, every attainment, accomplishment, achievement, worldly success, all of the world, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, is nothing but lahum wa laib. It's just vain, futile play and sport. It's just games. The asal, asal, haqiqa, reality is the life in the akhirah. Right? Verses number 65, the something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have done this before. فَإِذَا رَكَبُوا فِي That when they board the ship, then they ride on the boat, they pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that boat, right? Like you say, when P.I. takes off, a lot of people start making dua. <laughs> right? Yes? Okay. So they pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are mukhlisin al-Huddin. They're sincerely making dua. They're not munafiqin pretending to do lip service. They genuinely, at that moment, they genuinely believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They genuinely feel heartfelt need to turn to the Allah ta'ala in prayer. They genuinely, they're doing genuine tawakkul. Nothing to mock at. They're genuine. They really do it. That's what that says in the Quran. However, however, فَلَمَّا نَجَّاهُمْ إِلَى الْبَرِّ So again, when they're landing, they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa But the second they land safely, they forget Allah ta'ala. They forget Him. They forget Him as genuinely as they did remember Him genuinely in their time of need. So, when the second they have been, when literally means نَجَّاهُمْ When we delivered them, saved them. إِلَى الْبَرِّ means we let them reach harbor or land safely. Idahum يُشْرِكُونَ Then again, they just turn and they start ascribing partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. بِمَا آتِيْنَاهُمْ And then they end up being ungrateful for all of those things that we have bestowed upon them and given them. Being ungrateful for all the things that we have given them, yet they start enjoying them, yet enjoying themselves, fasofa yatlamun, but soon and surely they will know. Alright? And again, here shirk can mean shirki khafi, that member, afaraita manitakhadu allahu, manitakhada ilahu hawa, that person who takes their own whims and desires of the God. So it means that when they need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they don't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they want what their own wants and wishes and desires are. That's what this passage means. So then, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Then number 67, that do they not see how we have haram uh, amina that we have made the haram he means the haram and amina made the haram in makki baytullah kaaba a place of aman secure sanctuary whereas elsewhere people are being carried off and ravaged all around them so this is addressing the mushrikin of makkah that you you are the people of makkah has given you aman whereas there's all types of tribal strife raging around the rest of the raven peninsula or 
or do they choose to have iman in batil, are they believing in falsehood, wa bi ni'matillahi yakfurun, while denying in the grace and blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa man adlamu min aftaralallahi kadiba, who can be more unjust and more wrong than the one who fabricates a lie and falsehood against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa kadaba bil haqqi, and that person who repudiates the truth, lamma ja'ahu, when that truth comes to him, alayse fi jahannam mathwal lil kafirin, indeed is there not an abode in hell, is there not a place in jahannam for those who are disbelievers and ungrateful, waladina jahudu fi na, as far as those who struggle and strive in our path we will surely and assuredly shower our hidayah upon them and guide them subulana to multiple many ways that lead towards us and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever with the muhsineen those who do good what does this mean? Right. so this last ayah of this surah al-ankabut means that those who make mujahada so jahudu means that they strive for the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yes number one it can mean there are three types of jihad right this root word jim ha dal juhud so the root juhud means striving effort utmost exertion and striving and effort like the medical school student who becomes a resident works 80 to 100 hours a week he's doing juhud for the sake of becoming board certified, right? So juhud means absolute highest level of exertion and effort. That can be done, number one, through a person's akal, that they spend the maximum effort to acquire ilm in their life, and after attaining the highest degree of learning and scholarship, then they're capable of ijtihad. Second is the absolute level of bodily exertion, that they train themselves and they learn the art and skill of defending and protecting humanity and mu'mineen against fisad and fitna and then they exert their body to the best of their ability to do so such that they're willing to even surrender their body for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is called jihad so that was intellectual exertion, bodily exertion third is spiritual, that is called mujahadatun nafs that they learn and train and submit themselves to the teachings of deen that if they put maximum effort into it they can subdue the unlawful lust of their nafs the unlawful anger of their nafs the unlawful envy of the nafs the unlawful arrogance of the nafs they can do mujahada on their nafs so all of that is mentioned in this ayah and those who strive and struggle and exert themselves to their utmost ability Feen on any and all of the ways of deen and the paths of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean? First a person has to make that struggle. Then what will happen? That surely and certainly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will send our hidayah on them. And how will we give them hidayah? Subulana, multiple ways. Subul is jama plural of sabil. Means a person may be struggling on one way to reach Allah Ta'ala, but because they're sincere in that struggle, Allah Ta'ala will guide them on multiple ways to reach Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So this is a very oft recited ayah of Quran Al-Kareem. And we don't realize that, that hidayah of Allah Ta'ala is what we're missing as individuals in society, because we don't make that effort. This is why we don't have barakah in our life. We don't have nusrat and the help of Allah Ta'ala in our life. We don't have full hidayah in our life. All of these things that come from our Rabb, they come lanahdiyanuhum, they come to us after we become waladina jahudu. Right? And so this is what we've been missing out. When we don't put hard work and effort and dedication into deen, we take a laid back, lackadaisical, moderate approach to deen. Jahudu can never be called moderate. Nobody can translate this. 
is being moderate indeed. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهُدُوا Those who go to extreme lengths to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ Then they will get barakah and hidayah and nusra from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And this is what we need In fact that's all there is in the world There's nothing in the world that has any value Other than the hidayah that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And the last part Allah ta'ala That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala His very, He will gift His very companionship With these people Now what happens when you do mujahada Plus you get hidayah You become amongst muhsineen Muhsineen can be translated in many ways There are the people who reach ahsan in deen They have reached excellence, virtue, nobility, beauty in their practicing deen And in elsewhere Allah Ta'ala has said in Quran Yuhibbul muhsineen That Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala loves the muhsineen so this is what we should be striving for, that we want to strive as much as we can. And this is the rub between the last ayah in Surah Ankabut and the first ayah in Surah Ankabut. That what was the first ayah? Do people think that they will say that they adopt Iman and they won't be tried and tested? So the response to that is no. That what, what the right response? The right response is that no, we don't say that. What we're going to do is we're going to make ourselves walladina jahudu. We're going to make ourselves amongst those who make mujahida. That is what we're going to do. That Iman plus mujahida leads to hidayah and jannah. Right? So Iman alone is not sufficient. Next surah is Surah Al-Rum, 30th surah in Quran Al-Kareem. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Alif Lam Mim, Ghulabat Al-Rum. Alright. Al-Islamim, we've explained before, these are the Rufi, Muqatta'at, Allah Ta'ala alone knows best what they mean. And it does not befit any human being today to try to make a claim to brilliance and scholarship to try to explain what they mean when this was the view of the Sahaba Ikram. Although, yes, some early scholars also gave possible meanings, but nobody knows for certainty what this means. Ghulibatun Rum literally means that Rome has been defeated. Rome doesn't just mean Rome, it's the whole Roman Empire, which these days in proper history is known as the Byzantine Empire. So Byzantium or the Byzantinians, right? Or you could say the Romans, no problem, because in Arabic they were known as Rome, they have been defeated. What happened over here? Now what happened was that the Romans and the Persians went into a major battle. Interestingly, you can hear the fall of the Roman Empire by Gibbon is a major work in English on this. Many works in history about this period of history. And it's actually very interesting to read the history of the non-Muslim world prior to and at the advent and during the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. And it's just very interesting, you know. And the very same thing that right when the Prophet was sitting with Sahaba and Bidinullah, this and the other was going on in Roman Persia. Unless there's some interactions, but a lot of it uh, they don't know, right? And it's also very interesting to study pre-Islamic philosophy, right? I'm, this me because once Islam is revealed, we sort of lose our interest in other things. But in the pre-Islamic world, it's very interesting to study their history and their humanities and their philosophy and what type of precursor and what type of setting Allah Taala had set for the revelation of Islam. So here, Persians were being ruled by the famous Khusrow and the Romans, the Romans, and these were the two major empires at that time, right? And in that battle, what happened was because the Persians worshipped fire, so the Mushrikeen were rooting for the Persians, and the Mu'mineen, if 
there's a battle between Ahlul Kitab and Mushrikeen. Don't get me wrong, we're not going to give you blanket permission to root for Ahlul Kitab in every war. If there's a war between Ahlul Kitab and Mushrikeen, so it befits the Mu'min that he should be rooting and cheering for the Ahlul Kitab. And so was it the Sahaba Ikram? Right? So the Sahaba Ikram were rooting for the Romans. And this was something that was going on in the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarmah and the believers of Makkah Makarmah. And then what happened in the room so that the Romans were defeated. It so happened that the Persians, it's several battles that took place, final battles close to modern day Syria and Sham. And so when the news of this, it takes some time for news to travel to reach Makkah Makarmah. So the Muslims were sad and the Mushrikeen started taunting them that just like our fellow Mushrikeen beat people of scripture there, we're going to also defeat you you're the people of scripture here, if ever we engage in battle. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continued and revealed the next, uh, revealed this passage, Rome, that indeed Rome has been defeated. Fi adnal ardi, in a land that is nearby, in a nearby land, which was that land of Sham. However, however, min sayaglibun. However, after their defeat, they will then again be victorious. In some years, Biza in Arabic refers to a number between three and nine. So it's not the singular, it's not the dual, and yet it's not the plural, massive plural, which is which is ten or above. Biza refers to three and nine. So you could translate this, I suppose, in several years. They will be victorious several years from now. And to Allah Ta'ala belongs the matter and affair and the command, both the one that is past i.e. that the Persians defeated Rome, that was also the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and min ba'd, the one that is to come, the one that is coming after, that ultimately then the Romans will be victorious. And on that day, the day that the Romans will beat the Persians, will also be a day on which the believers will rejoice and be happy. Alright, so when after these verses revealed, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr Sayyidin started talking to the Mushrikeen back, that you're rejoicing now, that you're, your fellow Mushrikeen won over there, but very soon enough, uh, don't be so glad, for soon enough, Allah Ta'ala has revealed in Quran al-Kareem that the Romans will become victorious. So there's a famous Mushrik, Ubay ibn Khalaf. And what did he, he do? He accused Sayyidina Abu Bakr Sayyidin that you were lying. So what they did, they engaged in a bet. This is prior to the prohibition of gambling that took place in Islam. So what was the bet that Sayyidina Bakr Sayyidina said if the Persians win in the next three years, because the minimum of bidha is three. And the net within three years, if the Persians win, I will give you ten camels. And if the Romans win, then obey Ibn Khalaf, the Mushrik, will have to give ten camels to Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq Badaladonu. Then he told that Sayyidina Abu Bakr did this on his own, and then he went and he told the Prophet that I made this bet. So the Prophet told him that you had better increase the time period. <laughs> because bidha can mean more than three. And you should also increase the number of camels because ten is to the it's guaranteed the Romans will win because Allah Ta'ala said. So if you knew for sure something, you would bet everything. You wouldn't just bet ten camels. So he's saying you should show some more iman. So okay, so Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq went back and he went to Bayb Nikhalaf. And then he said that okay, look, I want to extend the time to nine years, but you know, because he had to give but I want to increase it to one hundred camels. So Bayb Nikhal was more than happy. He said, Okay, you want to make the bet of hundred camels? Let's make the bet for nine years. Then what happened? It just so happens that Obey ibn Khalaf, he passed away. Uh, in fact, in battle, he was killed in battle. 
prior to that. But a year after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which is about six years roughly after this battle took place, indeed the Romans defeated the Persians in a decisive battle. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, he collected the hundred camels from the Waratha, the heirs of Ubay ibn Khalaf, because the heirs are liable for any debt and liability that their uh, legatee left behind to them. Then Nabi Yaqadisun told him that you have to give all of these hundred camels away in charity. So that this was done as an act to counter the mocking of the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarimah. And although technically the Shari ruling, because it took place at a time when betting was not prohibited, right, it would have been permissible for him to have kept the camels, but there is a chance that the prohibition of betting had come in this time, or that Nabi Yaqadisun still felt that even if it wasn't prohibited, it wasn't the right thing to do. So Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq gave it in charity. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that other part that this news will come to them on a day when they will be happy. Yes, okay, and that, what is that? That this is uh, the day that the Muslims were, Samakram were victorious at the Battle of Badr. So on the day when Allah ta'ala gave them his fatah in Badr is the same day that they received the news that the Romans have defeated the Persians. Okay, next is verse number. Yeah, so we're here, end at number four and five. So this is the day that the believers will rejoice and will be happy. How? By the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the special help that Allah ta'ala sent them on Badr. Their happiness on that day was due to Allah ta'ala's help. Yansuru man yasha and Allah Subhanahu is the being who helps whomsoever he wants wahul azizur rahim Allah Subhanahu is almighty and all merciful he can help through sometimes sending his might whether in the form of legions of angels who assisted some of other but another way he sends his nusra is through his rahma is through his mercy so it's almighty giving and all mercy giving wa Allah and in fact this is a promise of Allah Subhanahu that he is going to send his nusrat la yukhlifullahu wa'dahu and Allah Subhanahu can never violate his promise walakinna akthar nas la ya'lamun however again the vast majority of humanity is unaware la ya'lamun they don't have the ilm about that fact that Allah Ta'ala doesn't break his promise what does that mean that many people don't have that conviction that the, the day of judgment is promised they don't really fully believe in that or that if you do tawakkal, mayyat tawakkal alallahi fahuwa hasbuhu, that whoever trusts upon Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will be sufficient for them. They're not really sure of that. They don't have full conviction in these promises of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. So the vast majority of people don't have that. Ya'lamun al-tahiram min al-hayat in dunya. And what is it that they know? Now this is interesting. What is it, what is the ilm that they have? So, that the vast majority of humanity do not have ilm about Allah subhanahu about deen, about the ways of Allah subhanahu about the truthfulness of deen. What do they know? They know the outward, they know the superficials of the life of this world. And about the akhirah, they are heedless of the hereafter. So there are two ilms that are given, the zahir of this world. That could be all the knowledge that we all acquire for our earning and our living and our teaching and our practicing, right? But what about the real ilm, which is knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and knowledge about what is pleasing to Him? 
and knowledge about the Akhirah. So they're heedless and negligent of the Akhirah. And that's why when, they're he- when a person is heedless and negligent about their Akhirah, then they don't have any stimulus to get that beneficial knowledge of Deen. And then they're content in just materialistic knowledge uh, that leads to material progress and technology and etc. But they're not concerned with spiritual knowledge that leads to spiritual progress in their Akhirah. This is why Allah Ta'ala in Surah Zawar said, Hal yastawilladina ya'namun wa walladina la ya'namun. Can those who have knowledge about Allah Ta'ala in deen, can they ever be equated with those who do not have knowledge about Allah Ta'ala and the deen? Innama yatadhakkarul albab. Indeed, these are people who uh, are people of understanding ul albab and people who are receptive to advice. Okay, verse number 8. Second thing is that have they not pondered, pondered on their own selves, reflect on their own self? I'll come to some. Ma khalaq Allahu samawati wal arda wa ma bainuhuma illa bil haqqi. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not created the heavens and the earth and all that lies between the two of them except with truth and veracity. Wa ajalim musamma. And all of that creation has an appointed term when it will cease to exist. But again, the vast majority of humanity is denies and uh, denies and rejects the reality and disbelieves in the meeting with their Rabb. All right, so there are two types of pondering here. One is that they should reflect on themselves, and the second is they should reflect on the creation. So this is what, in the language of Mashaikh, they call. Anfusi and Afaki. Afak means the horizons. That they should reflect on all the physical creation to its endless or limitless horizons. And Anfusi means they should also reflect on inside. Inside doesn't mean human anatomy and physiology. That's, that's counted in the other part. That's part of the physical creation of Allah. They should look inside their heart, their conscience, their emotions, their feelings, even in that they'll find the real sign of Allah which is the seed of the fitrat of Tawheed that Allah has put inside the Qalb of every Ruh. Every person's Ruh has a heart, the heart of the Ruh is called Qalb. That spiritual heart has been endowed with the ability to recognize and know and love Allah That is what they should find within, within themselves. So within themselves, Hakan was within creation, verse number nine, and within ruins. But does it mean something we did before? Awalam Yusiru fil Ardi, have they not travelled on the surface? And have not seen the plight that has befallen and what was the end that befell those who had come before them. And they were people Kanu, Ashaddam in Hum Kuba, and there were peoples and communities who were even mightier and stronger than them, and they ploughed the land and the earth and they populated it. Uh, and they developed the earth and they populated and developed the earth more than even these people had developed it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Wajaathum Rusulahim Rusulhum and then the messengers uh any prophets came to them Bilbayinat with clear and clarifying signs right about the truth but with indisputable evidence Famakanallahu the Yadlimahum Wadakin Kanu Anfusahum Yadlimun and it's not Allah Ta'ala who did any wrong to them or oppressed them or was unjust to them, but rather they oppressed and were unjust to their own selves, they wronged their own selves. So Makana Akimatulladina Asa Usu that those <coughs> that those who the outcome and end of those who did evil will be the worst of outcomes 
Why? Because ankadhabu bi ayatillah. They denied and denied in the verses of revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or you could say they denied the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Both meanings are there. وَقَانُوا بِهَا And they used to mock them. Mocking, derision, sarcasm, cynicism. That's what they used to do. And again, this is a word, verb, يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ istihza, which means to make a mockery of something in deen. And again, you will find this, right? That people who are illiberal, non-illiberal, intolerant, non-practicing secular elites, they mock deen. They mock the practices of deen. They mock the people of deen. They have cynicism, they have sarcasm, they have derision. They sneer. The word Malvi itself, right? Even just the word Malvi is always used in ihtiza. And I explained to you before, Malvi means Mawlawiyyun. means Allah wala. Mawla is Allah. Mawlawiyyun means Allah wala. Just like Lahore is Lahore. And Lahoriyun means Lahore wala. Mawlawiyyun means Allah wala. Right? But they say that word with derision. So this is, you know, again, we never want to replicate and find in ourselves the same behavior, the same attitude, the same demeanor, the same language, the same words that Allah Ta'ala in Quran says that these are actually the words that unbelievers use. Verse number 11. Allahu thumma thumma That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one who did bidai, who initially created creation. And then yu'idu, and then Allah ta'ala has repeatedly created, recreated creation. And then you will, each and every one of you will be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. As one is the initial act of creating creation from nothing. And then as many successive acts of Allah Ta'ala creating. And then I did this for you just a few minutes ago. About the other way. Uh, repetition means life into death. And every day plants and flowers are born. Then they die. Then again they blossom. Then again they wilt. And animals are dying every day. Animals are being born every day. And this will be... Uh, on the day that the hour is established, I mean the day when the day of judgment, the day when the hour will break and establish upon people, the day when the time comes, what will happen? The sinners, Mujibun, they will use lose all hope. They will lose all hope. They will despair and become sad. Because there's nothing for them. There will be none of their partners that they ascribe to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. None of the idols they believed in will be able to do shifa for them, will be able to intercede for them. And in fact, they will on that day reject and repudiate those very same idols that they ascribe to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that day, day judgment will be in such that people will be in tafarruq. They will split up into factions and divisions and people will run from one another and people will become separate from one another. Right? This we also did for you yesterday. That people will flee from one another, flee from their brother, flee from their son, flee from their mother, flee from everyone. They will be running in multiple directions. They will be split up. Right? Something we've done before. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَأَمَّا الصَّالِحَاتِ And those who have iman and do righteous acts from That they will be in gardens where they will be rejoicing and they will be happy and they will be in a state of bliss in those gardens. Alright, and as far as those who disbelieved, وَأَمَّا as far as those who disbelieved and who denied the verses of Revelation, وَلَقَائِي and denied the meeting with me, al the meaning of me with an akhirah, فَأُولَٰئِكَ فِي الْأَذَابِ 
muhdharun and they will be faced they will have to face and they will be facing a terrible punishment fa subhanallahi hina tumsuna wa hina tusbihun so therefore you should glorify allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hina tumsuna when it is in your evenings wa hina tusbihun and when it is in your mornings so some have taken this to mean maghrib and fajr and then wadahul hamdu fi samawati wal ard and to allah ta'ala alone belongs all the praise in the heavens and the earth wa ashiya wa hina tuzhirun and now you should Pray, uh, do glorify Allah Taala. Ashiya, which means Asr, actually it doesn't mean Isha. It means Ashiya means the latter part of the day. Uh, you could say the afternoons, um, afternoon pre-dusk. Wahina tuthirun, and at midday, which is taken by some to mean Zohar. Yuhrjul Hayya min al-Mayti, he takes the dead from the living. Wahyuhrjul Mayta min al-Hayya, and he takes the Living from the dead, he takes, the, extracts the living from the dead and the dead from the living. Or you hear about the Mautihan, he revives the earth after it has become barren and infertile. And just like that, you will also be resurrected, means revived and given life again after you had died a death on earth. This is just one of the powers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is mentioning. He is al-muhyi, he is the reviver. And just like he has revived many things on this earth, he will also revive in sun. Verses 20 onwards. Women ayati from amongst the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created you from earth. And I explained this to you before what this means. And then, after that, then, then there you are. Then there you will find yourselves humanity that you are spreading out that you have spread out and propagated and you populating and pro- propagating your species and populating the earth widely. Women ayatihi an min anfusikum azwaja and from Allah Ta'ala signs is also that He has created from you uh, mates for you from yourself or spouses to you from your own selves. They taskunu ilayha so that you may find sukoon in them. It also can be translated you may find you may find yourself to be at home with them. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا So that you, this is the Quranic philosophy of marriage. This is a whole separate lecture can be given just on these two words. لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed between you and his spouse and spouse, husband and wife, mawadda, which means love and affection, means affectionate love. Mahabba is love and mawadda is affectionate love, warahma and mercy and kindness. In the yatafakkarun and indeed in this are signs for such a community and such a people who can reflect and contemplate on the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this means three key words about the uh, relationship between a husband and wife. Sukoon, mawadda, and rahma. And this is from the very beginning when Allah subhanahu wa made, when he sang the made from you because he first made ummul insan, Sayyidatana Hawa radiallahu anha, from, and you could even view it if you want, from the DNA of Sayyidina Adam Right? She was cloned. Uh, with some slight genetic alterations from Sayyidina Adam right? Now, and she was also made for the same reason, right? That husband and wife were given the spousal relationship for the same reason to find sukoon, mawadda, and rahma, right? And it also means that if we did not have spouses, 
when we said that make a home for yourselves, means we would have found making a home on earth difficult for us if we did not have a spouse. And that means that those people who are true on their human fitra, they will find it difficult to be unmarried. I mean, they may deny that fact socially, but the reality is, is that everything has been made as vanja. Everything has a pair, only Allah Ta'ala has no pair. Every other thing has a pair and belongs with its pair. Right? This refers to the barakah and this is going to happen when this relationship is azwaj. So azwaj means in nikah, after nikah. And if a person tries to get these same three things, sukoon and mawadda, right, and obviously rahmah, this is not going to be possible outside of nikah. It may outwardly seem like that, but it's not going to have barakah in it. It's not going to be from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may be able to create your own love and affection, but Allah ta'ala will never put, place love and affection between the hearts of a man and woman outside of nikah. That will be their own doing, and there may be a whole world of music and fashion that is artificially designed, is designed to artificially put those feelings of love in the heart of a person. Because if you don't get the feeling of love that Allah Ta'ala puts in your heart, then you have to resort to all of these other artificial means of putting love. But Rahmah, Rahmah is impossible to get other than from that being Allah, who is Allah Rahman Rahim, who is that being of, uh, who possesses all mercy and showers all of that mercy down. وَمِنْ آيَاتِي مَنَامَكُمْ بِالْلَيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَبْدِغَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ And from another, from amongst the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oh, Sorry, verse 22 وَمِنْ آيَاتِي خَلْقُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creation of the heavens أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ And the differences in your languages Literally the tongues, means the tongues that you speak, your languages And the difference وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ in your colors means in your racism إِنَّ فِي ذَلَكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالِمِينَ Indeed again in that they are signs for the people who have ill. So uh, this is that Allah subhanahu has created us in diversity. And always remember that in our deen unity does not require uniformity. Unity can be achieved even in diversity. And that is when a diverse group of people do not try to eliminate that diversity and get uniformity, but they unite on a higher principle which is common and shared between them. And for this ummah, that higher principle is Tawheed and Sunnah, Quran, Deen, Taqwa, Haya, Iman, all of those sifat. And all of those sifat have nothing to do with language and nothing to do with race or color. Right? So you can only transcend the boundaries of race and color when you're uniting on something that is higher. Now Allah Ta'ala through revealed scriptures and sending prophets has dictated what that higher thing is. It was only when you had this philosophy of secularism and democracy and capitalism that humanity was able to come up with a higher ideal which to some extent of success has enabled people to transcend boundaries of language and color, but the greatest way you can transcend boundaries of language and color and actually have that multiracial or multicultural, multi-harmonial society is if you're united on deen, right? If you're united on deen. And that is the Islamic concept of where humanity could ever get true unity with one another. 
Other than that, then it's just about peaceful, mutual coexistence, but you can't speak about unity unless it is within the deen. Alright? Next sign is verse 23. So from yet other signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you sleep at night and that you sleep in the daytime. Right? That on Sundays you can sleep till 12. It means that you sleep at night, but there's a qaylula, a short nap, that Nabi Yaqtuzun used to take in the daytime. And you seek the bounty of Allah Spanta in the day. And that's another way that if you said, and then you pause it there, but the problem is here this time you can't really do that because there's a wow both before un- both before An-Nahar and after An-Nahar. So it means that one of his signs is that you sleep at night and you sleep at day. And is your not <laughs> is your your ability to sleep at night and your ability to sleep at daytime. And your seeking of Allah Ta'ala's bounty that He has placed for you on earth. Indeed in the Fidalik and the Ayat and the Qawmi Yasma'un, indeed in that there are signs for people who listen. This I have explained to you yesterday. When it came in, and from amongst Allah Ta'ala's signs that He shows you lightning, right? That you will see lightning on the sky. And what is that? That lightning is both, it's khawfan watam'an, it's the lightning is an occasion for fear and is also an occasion for hope. Is the fear because of its power, right? And its, its flash. But it's hope because you know it's a precursor to rain and rain is something that many times is needed and is a mercy. وَيُنَزِّلُوا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً And Allah Ta'ala sends down rain and water from the sky thereby reviving the earth after it has died. And that indeed there ayat signs for such a qawm which is yaqilun which is one of people who understand. And 25 from amongst the signs of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is the heavens and the earth they exist and they subsist by His divine command and decree. Then when He will call you when he will call you a call from the earth, then you will all immediately emerge. Right? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala issues the call, When he calls you forth, then that call will be issued on this planet earth, then all of us will then come out. You will all leave your graves. You will emerge your graves, and then yet another nizam, another system of the world will start, which is the judgment day, and then we will transition into the akhirah. Verse 26, belongs each and everything that is in the heavens and earth. That each and every single thing is is submissive and subservient and submits to him. And that he and then Allah subhanahu that being who begins initiates and recreates it and that is extremely easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do a'la and to Allah subhanahu belongs the highest and most exalted uh, manner uh, if in the heavens and the earth azizul hakim and Allah is almighty and all wise So in this passage, basically you have all of these are the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Signs by which he is suggesting that people should be able to discover their ability to have iman in him. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the highest manner, highest glory. Uh, what does that mean? That means that every single thing, fis fil realizes that Allah ta'ala is Allah. 
that Allah Ta'ala is supreme, that Allah Ta'ala reigns supreme, that He is exalted. Verse 28, Then Allah Ta'ala then coins an example to you from your own selves. Right? So these are all examples from Allah Ta'ala's creation. What is that? Do you have any slaves? Are there any slaves that Malakat Imanakum min Shuraka that you share them equally, that you are shareholders in? Right? in that which we have provided to you from nourishment and sustenance. Fantum fihi and that you uh, you are sharing equally with those slaves in what we have provided for you. so do you ever then fear them as you have feared for yourselves? Thus Allah Ta'ala says do we expand our signs for the people who understand. What does it mean? So when you have slaves, they normally, initially, slaves do not have any authority to utilize the wealth of the master. Now, Allah SWT is asking the mushrikeen that what if it was to flip and would you like the idea that you would have to seek permission from your slaves to spend your own wealth, then it would be as if your slaves were your partners. So if a person dislikes, what he's trying to say to them is that you would dislike having the slaves as partners in your property. What in the world makes you think Allah SWT has taken a partner in his property? This is what is being said here in not so many words. right? So it's Allah SWT is addressing them in a way that they can understand, may not be a way that's going to resonate with us at this moment uh, in our current setting, but this is how Allah SWT is telling them. So it sounds like this is also a sign for you Right, that if you have a bit of power, you wouldn't share your property. And Allah SWT is being who has all power, so how can you think a God would be such that they would share their property? Alright. So then Allah SWT says, فَأَقِمْ وَجْهَكَ لِلْدِّينِ حَنِيفًا And now what should you do? Allah SWT says, so now you should turn and you should set your focus and direction and attention to what? Liddin, to Deen, Hanifa. And you should do that in a way that you are completely, mm, this Deen Hanif, this pure Fitri Deen that Allah SWT has put in your nature. Fitratullahi lati fataran nasa alayha. That this is what Allah SWT has done. It's an Allah given nature according to which Allah has endowed humanity. And there is no changing the creation of Allah subhanahu wa And this is This is a famous statement in Quran. Some people, early scholars, used to even write books entitled Adin al Qayyim. That this is the deen that is Qayyim, which means it is straight, it is true, it is firm, it is upright, it is steadfast. However, again, the vast majority of people will not have any knowledge of that whatsoever. And again, that is true for the time of the Prophet The vast majority of people on earth on his time were non-Muslims. It's been true for every single day up till now. And today also the vast majority of people on earth are not Muslim. And this is the way Allah SWT is educated to be. That that the vast majority of people will not know that. The firm and steadfast and strictly correct nature of this deen. Sayyidina Rasulullah, this word fitra that uh, Allah SWT says, Fatarun nas alayha. So fitra means what I told you, that Allah SWT said that every person is born on the fitra of Islam. On the inherent 
human instinct, instinctual nature and belief in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they are bound as a human being to be an abd of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they should submit and worship that one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then here when Allah said that there, what, when Allah said that there is no changing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. So what that really means in this context is a general thing, that that nothing can change the creation of Allah. But what it means in this context is means that nothing can change human beings' fitra. Nothing can change that. And other human beings will always be inherently inclined towards deen. They cannot tabdeel it. Yes, they may be able to veil that. They may be able to numb that inclination Years and years of disobedience or disbelief or lackadaisical attitude may numb it, but they can never change their humanity. In other words, in Deen of Islam, to be human is to love Allah. To be human is to know Allah. To be human is to worship Allah. They can never change their humanity. They may suppress their humanity. They may veil their humanity. They may not realize their humanity, but they can never change the fact that to be human is ultimately to be on this deen which is hanif alright so it's in another sense that humanism is not a rival to religion humanism can only be found in religion all of humanism can only consist of religion and the deen in of itself is humanism and that's why the term secular humanism which is really a rival deen which you're trying to come up with a concept of what is humane and what is humanity and who is humanity that is completely divorced from any and every concept of revelation and prophecy so for the Quranic per- perspective that is profane that is foul right? to suggest that there could be any concept of human or humanity or humanism that is not based on the Quran or Karim that when a difficulty afflicts a people, then what do they do? They turn to the Rabb in Dua and Munibina ilayhi, and they turn to him in penitence and they turn to him sincerely. Then when Allah Ta'ala allows them a taste of his mercy, when Allah Ta'ala tastes them, gives them to taste rahmatan, and here again the mean is coming for a drop of His mercy. You can even say that when He allows them to taste a drop of His mercy, then what does happen? Then again a segment of them turn, and they start attributing and associating partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In effect, they become ungrateful for that which Allah Ta'ala says that we have bestowed upon them, we gave them. So Allah says, fine, فَتَمَتَّعُوا Okay, enjoy yourselves for a little while, moon, But soon, surely you will come to know. Means soon, surely you enjoy yourself on earth. But soon, on the, when the day of judgment comes, you will surely come to know the reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَمْ أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ سُلْطَانًا فَهُوَ يَتَكَلَّمُ بِمَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَشْرِكُونَ Or is it that we have, or are they saying this on some basis? Do they have some sultan? Do they have some warranty, some authority that we sent down to them that tells them that they should worship these idols? So the answer is obviously no. وَإِذَا أَذَكْنَ النَّاسَ رَحْمَةً And whenever we let people allow, let or allow people to taste of our mercy, فَرِحُوا بِهَا They revel in it. They enjoy it. They they take delight in it. فَرِحُوبِهَا They take delight in it. وَإِن تُصِبْهُمْ سَيِّئَةٌ But however, if any adversity comes and afflicts them, and what is that? قَدَّمَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ It is an adversity and an evil that they've brought on their own selves. 
So when that happens, then they become despondent and they lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So what does this mean? So when Allah ta'ala first said we allow them, people to taste a mercy, uh, by removing some difficulty, by answering their du'as, right? So at the beginning of the passage, when they're afflicted by difficulty, they make du'a to Allah ta'ala, Allah ta'ala sends a drop of mercy on them and removes their difficulty, but when the difficulty is removed, again they turn back to worshipping things other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, this includes Shirki Khafi, they start doing what they please. Then again, right, this is what we had mentioned to you a few days ago. That one teaching of our deen that many people think is that when you're in tough times, you should have sabr. And when you're in good times, you should have shukr. But actually, what these verses are pointing out is the other way around. That when you're in tough times, you should have shukr. And when you're in good times, you should have sabr. Good times having sabr means you should remain steadfast and persevere. When Allah Ta'ala puts a good on you, when He gives an ease to you, sabr here doesn't mean patience, sabr means you should endure and persevere or remain steadfast on deen. Remain on those du'as that you call to your Rabb. Remain on that salah. Remain on your deen when things go well. But the mistake we make is that when we're faced with a time of difficulty, we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the second things ease up, and that eased up because He answered our du'as, it's ugly, right? And we should realize that, that we should be even more penitent and more worshipful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when the ease comes, because it means He answered our du'as. But what happens is when the ease comes and we lose that himma, that istikama, that sabr, and again we become lax in our deen. And then we become lax in the shukr part as well. Then we become ungrateful for what Allah Ta'ala has given us. Then the second way Allah Subhanahu mentions this, the second part He says, That when we allow or we let them taste a drop of our mercy, they revel in it or they take delight in it. What does that mean? That they're really happy when everything is going well in their life. When everything is going smoothly, they're the happiest person on earth. Then, however, the second thing, but when an adversity touches them, and it touched them, because of what they did themselves, means because of the sins that they commit, right? Then they lose all hope and they start despairing. So this is what Allah Ta'ala has taught and elsewhere in the Quran that Ya Ibadiladina Asrafu Allah Anfusihim that O oh, my servants who have wronged and oppressed their own souls, La Taknatu Marahmatillah that you should never despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Allah Yagfirudzanuba Jamia that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all of the sins entirely. So it means that whether things are going well or things are difficult and all and both both and both and any and all on such occasions we should maintain our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our dua to him, we should maintain our following and observance of deen, and we should never ever lose hope in his mercy. One announcement before we make dua and we adjourn for Asr is that today is Thursday. On Saturday and you know, I know that most of you may not come for this. On Saturday, me at least, and as many of you who are brave or foolhardy, we're going to be having a double session on Saturday. And on Saturday, we're going to have session from 11.30 to 
and from 2 to 5.15. Double session on Saturday. We'll start at 11.30, 11.30 to 1.30, and 2 to 5.15. This Saturday and next Saturday as well. Every Saturday. There's only two Saturdays left. This Saturday and next Saturday. Second thing is that, inshallah, tomorrow is Juma, And Juma. Uh, last time we tried to start at 2.30, but it was very difficult for people who, especially the women who come with their drivers, for the driver to proceed from Juma. So we'll start at 2.45 tomorrow, which is Juma. We'll start at 2.45. So tomorrow is 2.45 to 5.15. Saturday is 11.30 to 5.15. And Sunday we go back to the regular schedule routine, which is 2 to 5.15, inshallah. Subhanallah Sincerely in your name and for your sake. We want to be steadfast on our deen, passionate on our deen. Ya Allah, let us do il- grant us the ilm of every single ayah of Quran. Give us the ability to do amal on every single ayah of Quran. Give us ikhlas in that amal, istiqamat on that amal, kubuliyat on that amal. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us strong in our deen, make us qawi in our deen. Ya Allah, we wish to please you more and more. Ya Allah, just like in this month, you gave us the strength to fast. The strength to pray Taraweeh. Yallah, just like that, we ask that year round you bestow upon us the strength to obey each and every one of your commands and follow each and every one of your commands. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And Ya Allah, we ask that you make us realize the reality of the Akhirah. Yeah, we ask that you put in our heart the true feeling and awareness and perception of this world as you described it in Quran, as it is nothing but lahaw al la'ab, that is nothing but play and sport. Let us perceive the re- this reality of the world let us view emotionally the world to be this way and let us put all of our yearning and hope in the Akhirah, let us put all of our yearning and hope in you and Ya Allah make us people of sabr and shukr in good times, make us people of sabr and shukr in bad times let us make dua to you in each and every occasion Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Rabbana taqabal minna innaka anta samil adeem watubu alayna innaka anta tawabu rahim وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين آمين